It's the Mixed Martial Arts Hour. It is Monday, October 15th, 2018, and Caesar is home. Welcome, everyone. This is the MMA Hour right here on MMAfighting.com. Thank you so much for joining me. I greatly appreciate it. Fun show planned, as always. We'll do a little weigh-in, a little Monday morning analyst, some tweets, your calls with the sound off, and a trio of great guests as well. To talk about his UFC 232 fight against Carlos Condit, Michael Chiesa will be here. By the way, the double champ returns. Daniel Cormier will talk about his UFC 230 fight, which is going to take place right down the street against Derek Lewis. A few other things, I'm sure. And uh, here to reflect on, I guess, his loss in his future. We appreciate Chelsea making some time for us uh, as well, facing Fedor at uh, UFC, excuse me, Bellator 208 over the weekend. So a lot to get to. Appreciate you guys tuning in. The uh, tweets, keep sending them. Use the hashtag, the MMA hour. And of course, you can always call at, uh, I, n- I never memorized the number, 844-866-2468. And by the way, the PFL comes to my hometown of Washington, D.C. this Saturday. I will be there. If you see me, you uh, please say hi, but uh, don't be weird. And uh, we're going to give away some VIP tickets to that a little bit later in the show. So you got to watch the whole show, and we'll give them out at a time of my choosing. So uh, be on the ready for that. Should be a lot of fun. Uh, okay. Hope everyone had a great weekend. Uh, I did. Got a little sick on Saturday night, but otherwise I was just fine and uh, happy to be back in the chair. I'm a little tired because your boy has more anxiety than a dog with separation anxiety, uh, but I am finding <laughs> finding a way to soldier through. Let us go now to the arroz to my frijoles, the arequipe to my pan. The uh, the man from Bogota, there he is. Look at him. Yo, how's it Danny going? Danny Segura. Hi, Danny. That makes two of us, uh, you know, being tired and sick and over the weekend. This job just no one, no one cares that we're sick. But just so you know, yeah. this job does make us sick, doesn't it? Yes. <laughs> yeah. How are you doing? Well, good weekend. I'm doing well. Yeah, it was a good fights uh, over at Bellator. It was some good um, fights this weekend. Yeah, pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Bellator got a little bit overshadowed with all the UFC news, but by the time the fights came around, they were actually pretty decent. Yeah. Um, biggest, uh, outside of the main event, biggest takeaway from Bellator was what? For the two main events. Forget those, because we'll talk about them, I'm mm-hmm. sure. Anything else stood out to you about the Bellator fights? Mm, Karatanov looked, looked great. Um, yeah. the paratrooper, man. He, he had a rough start for his Bellator career, and, you know, he's been around for forever, so a lot of people were wondering how, you know, how he was going to look and he, how he was going to do in big country, still a threat, and, and he looked great. I would have loved to see him in the, in the heavyweight Grand Prix. I think he's, he's a legit heavyweight. Uh, and moving forward, man, he's got some exciting, you know, matchups out there. So, you know, that, that, was, a, that was a good win for Bellator. I'd say Benson Henderson. Benson Henderson. Looks good, good against Sadawad, yeah. man. I mean, I, was, I didn't know what to make of Benson in this Bellator run. Certainly, there are still some questions yeah. to be asked, but that was a commanding performance and a bit of a redemptive one as well. Two-fight win streak now. Hey, that's not nothing. Real quickly, there was something in D.C. I told you just before the show called the uh, H Street Festival. It's this big festival on the east side of town. And it was the biggest I'd ever seen it this year. Your boy went with his wife. Yeah? Dude, uh, this is not something I'm trying to brag about. I'm just trying to tell the truth. Listeners of this show stopped me. I was there for maybe three hours. Mm-hmm. I got stopped. You got lynched? I got, no, I didn't quite get lynched. Um, but I got stopped a gazillion times. People being like, oh, man, love the MMA hour, blah, 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 MMA beat. They've been referencing this show and, of course, the show we do on Thursdays. I don't know, man. I guess it was maybe surprised. Yeah, I guess I am surprised. I I wasn't expecting that kind of outpouring 
of support. You go to MMA events and you see a lot of MMA fans, right? It's to be expected. Yeah. But like in regular old DC where people like think the nationals are edgy, I didn't think anyone watched MMA. And uh, yeah, man, I guess they do. I was very happy to see it. Yeah, underestimating the MMA fans. There's, there's a lot of them out there, man. They are. There's a lot of them out there. By the way, do you have your caffeine? I'm not detecting enough high energy. Wait, hold on, hold on. <laughs> your boy, dude. I, All right, let's go. Let's get the show started. I am so tired. I could cry. I could legitimately burst into tears. You're, hey, we got you got that aguardiente bottle in the corner. If you ever hit, you know, bro, I'm about hit, to hit rock hit bottom. I'm about know? to hit it up. Here, I, I need to something to help with my anxiety because I woke up at three in the morning. My alarm's not set till like four thirty, mm-hmm. and I could not go back to sleep. And whenever that happens, I cannot go back to sleep. Yeah. So I just stay there like this. So I'm the same way. Once I'm awake, like I, I've never, I can never take naps. Once I'm awake, I'm awake. Yeah. That's it. Ugh, it's killing me. Yeah. But you know what? This is my fiftieth coffee, and my heart's going to explode sometime during the show. But that'll be good for entertainment. Yeah. All right. Good for the radio. Uh, Good calls, good tweets. What do we got? Yeah, very good. I mean, the the calls and the tweets just keep getting better. I feel like the calls are every week getting excellent. Quality, the questions, everything. All right. Um, We'll come back to you a little bit later in the show. And uh, yeah, we'll have all those calls and those tweets a little bit later. All right? That's good. All right. Steer that ship back there, young Padawan. All right. With that uh, out of the way, it is time for our opening segment. Let's go to the weigh-in. Time now for the weigh-in right here on the MMA Hour, and uh, it actually is not anything related to Bellator. I know some folks were talking about, where's the main event fixed? We're actually going to get to that ridiculous argument in the uh, Monday Morning Analyst, which will be a little bit later in the show. But uh, there was something else that kind of got brought up uh, on the news cycle. I think it came from a TMZ interview. I try not to watch too much TMZ. Uh, although they do break news. Anyway, Ronda Rousey made some news. And I believe she was asked about what had happened with Connor and Habib and the melee. And she took a broader point. I believe we have her quote. If we could put that on the screen, I would love to see it and love to read it as well. Uh, what do we have here? Yes? Here we go. Here is what she wrote. I'll read it out if you can't see it. I think that Habib jumping out of the octagon was not as bad as throwing objects at a bus because my friend Rose Namajunas was on that bus. My friend Michael Chiesa missed his fight, of course I'll be on the show a little bit later, because he suffered an injury from broken glass. And here is really the, the bigger point. She says, I just feel like there has, be, there has to be, excuse me, equal treatment all the way across the board. I don't think that anyone should get special treatment because they're a bigger draw. Now, this naturally drew some chuckles from everyone because if... Uh, uh, oh, Jesus. Um, Danny, I'll get back to you in a second. Just give me, give me one minute. Give me one minute. Uh, naturally, let's do chuckles from everybody because they're saying, well, if anyone benefited from <laughs> unequal treatment, it was her. Now, there's a couple of points here I want to make uh, because some folks pushed back on it, right? Um, uh, look, in some ways, Rousey's really not unique. I mean, she is. Let's be clear about that. But in some ways, in some ways, she's really not. Here's the reality. And I think a lot of folks are missing some of the context here. I made a point that when she said this, I wrote on Twitter, like, that is rich coming from her, right? Somebody who really benefited from preferential treatment. And folks were saying, my colleague, Jeff Wagenheim, I love Jeff. He disagreed with me, which is always great. I, I, you know, love having a debate. And he tried to make the point, like, look, there's one thing if you're Connor and you know, you're chucking furniture at a bus window 
and breaking, literally, literally breaking laws, going to jail versus eh, maybe skipping out on some media obligations. They're not, they're not really the same. And my response would be, you're right. They're not the same, which is why the comparison is really, really, really important to make here. Um, here's the truth. What did Rousey get in, terms, in, in the way of preferential treatment? Probably a number of things, um, including but not limited to the fact that at UFC 207, she did not have to engage with the media or Joe Rogan virtually in any capacity whatsoever. And you're going to say, well, big deal. She doesn't have to talk to the media. I even said during that time, I don't feel like personally she owes me anything. But you'll recall Conor McGregor and Nate Diaz were supposed to fight uh, at UFC 200. That got yanked because Conor didn't want to do enough media. And of course, that's how they ended up on UFC 202. In other words, she got treatment all the way back then that Conor McGregor couldn't get in a roughly similar time frame. Um, and he was one of the biggest stars in the sport. That should tell you something, that they were willing to bend over backwards for her in ways they weren't for him. So there's, 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 it's not necessarily that was the biggest ask in the world, although it was pretty substantial, but rather the tone they took, the approach they took that was so dramatically unequal. Um, and there's a couple other things you could point to as well in terms of, you know, um, the way in which they pushed her and promoted her. You'll recall the, that the lack of her doing any kind of media, I would argue, dramatically hurt Amanda Nunes, right? When your opponent never has to talk to the media and your opponent is the hugely celebrated popular one and they never have to speak to anybody uh, about um, you, they never have to mention your name. They never have to acknowledge you. They never have your the, their name never has to come. Your name never has to come out of their mouth. None of these things uh, ever have to have any kind of reality. And as a consequence, people just never paid attention to Amanda. And so I really believe that was supposed to be a passing of the torch moment. It's not just that she didn't talk to the media. No one treats us as victims. I'm not asking us to, or I'm not asking you to rather. But sorry, Amanda Nunes was very much a victim in that, and that never got addressed. That's not really all that fair, to be quite candid with you. And you could point to a number of, a number of other things. And, and, and folks have said, well, what does that got to do with Connor chucking a dolly at a bus? Here's the reality. It's a difference in degree. It's not a difference in kind, folks. When the UFC, it, it, there's some historical perspective that's required here. And I'm going to sound like Clint Eastwood, sans the racism. Uh, you know, in Gran Turismo, telling all the kids to get off his lawn. But it's true. If you followed the UFC from the moment they began to flex their muscles, um, you did see preferential treatment all the way back then, but it was a little bit different. So in other words, what would it include? It would include things like, before it got taken away, Matt Hughes and Chuck Liddell being set up for life. It would include, to some degree, the way the contracts were set up, right? Like, you know, yes, someone who is headlining a UFC show and fighting for a title should make more, but in and of itself, there's no negotiated union setting up standards or best practices for the fighter, so there's really unequal treatment there. Again, some of that's justified, some of that's not. Um, you could go to some other things, right, like uh, Gilbert Melendez negotiating in certain things from Bellator offering a contract. But most of it was fairly, fairly minimal, fairly low-key, and, and here's what happened. When the UFC was powerful and flexing their muscles, 
there wasn't a lot of opportunity to be anything other than the partner and to have a degree of subservience to them. And you were rewarded for that. When the business began to flag a little bit and the stars began to get a little more powerful, then you'll notice there was a ratcheting up of how much preferential treatment and accommodation took place. You know, dating all the way back to what, what Rousey got was some things. And it's not, again, it's not the worst of it. But you got to recall, how about Brock Lesnar getting his USADA requirements for his UFC 200 fight waived? That was accommodation. And it's accommodation I don't know that would have necessarily happened all the way back in a bit of a different era. How about the fact that CM Punk fought in the UFC at all? I mean, this is the height of accommodation. And it was a move that was done to shore up their flagging year for, to a degree. He was brought in to kind of help these efforts in, in a way that made no sense other than um, he was willing to do it and he was needed for some kind of financial consideration. So you, you have this, what I would call, fairly modest escalation of accommodation to the point where you get to Conor McGregor literally breaking the law and that something should be done about it. Um, you can say that there's, that there, well, one is minor and one is major. Dude, it's all part of the same continuum. And one accommodation has given rise to every other escalating accommodation. You cannot disconnect the two. To the extent the UFC had all the leverage, they made some accommodations for people who were better for business, or they made some kind of concessions. And to the extent that that star power got greater, they made more. And to the extent that their business began to flag a little bit, or at least their, relation, their, their relationship to the consumer as the primary driver of quality began to diminish and began to all the power used to be the transfer to the stars, and then you saw more and more and more accommodation. But it's the same impulse. It's the same impulse to say, We'll treat you like X, we'll treat you like Y. Now, Connor just forced their hand because he was so popular, he is so good for business, he is so beloved by so many parts of the world, and the UFC as a brand uh, doesn't have the same kind of fan loyalty that it once did. But they are not separate. They are not separate. They are absolutely, unequivocally tied at the hip. And you can say, if you were in Rousey's position, well, wouldn't you want the accommodations if you needed them? Well, yeah, of course. Everybody is going to want whatever they want in this world. They're going to want to get a raise. They're going to want to have 100 days off a year. They're going to want all these things. It's just up to the people in power to make choices about whether or not that's deserved, about what kind of message that sends to the rest of the company. Here's the reality. Fighters doing what's in their self-interest is just something that's always going to be that way. Take for another example, if, uh, if Daniel Cormier was offered to fight, I don't know, um, Marius Pujanowski, the strong man or something, or pick somebody else who's a big bodybuilder who's famous, um, you know, Larry Wheels or something, right? Uh, Cormier would win, Right? But let's say they were going to pay him a ton of money to do it. He's going to take it because it's in his self-interest. Rousey asking for that, it's in her self-interest. Well, at least so she thought. Um, there's a question about that. It, it, I, I'm not necessarily mad about that instinct that she has. M my issue is not that. My issue is, uh, number one, when you are a contributor 
to a sliding scale of how justice is meted out, how it's distributed, and how it's distributed unequally, you don't get to lament that sliding scale. <laughs> You're part of the problem. You can, you can rationalize all the things that she or Gilbert or Brock or CM Punk or uh, Chuck Liddell and Matthews, all these favors that they got, all this favoritism that they got. You can rationalize that, but you can't divorce their role in this erosion of standards either. They're connected. They're absolutely connected. And so to me, when I see things like that, I'm like, look, I get it. She didn't chuck a, a, a bus or she, uh, whatever, a hand truck, a dolly at a bus. She didn't do any of those things, nor am I suggesting she should, nor am I suggesting she should be thrown under the bus, uh, metaphorically speaking, for any of the things that she had. But there is absolutely unequal treatment in the UFC. Yes, it's been around for a while, but it's gotten way worse over time as the stars get more popular and the brand gets less. And as the fighters begin to ask more, they begin to get more. And it didn't just start with Connor. Maybe he took it to the furthest degree. Maybe he abused that privilege. Maybe you could say he took it to a degree that is absurd. And I would agree with you. I would agree with you. But this idea that this all started with Connor and he's the one that has really changed the way business is done. No, he's the one that shed a light on it. Before you could sort of like, you know, you could squint and maybe you couldn't see it anymore. That's not that way anymore, man. And it didn't start with him. It went all the way back and it, she benefited from that system the entire time. Now, she pulled her weight, too. She made millions, and I'm glad. I hope she makes even more millions doing what she's doing with the WWE. Good for her, man. I really have no issue with it. But Connor gets a lot of criticism. Some of it fair, some of it not so fair. And he absolutely has been a beneficiary of the UFC's uneven distribution of justice. No doubt about it. But here's the reality, man. He ain't the architect of that system. He's just the latest engineer. All right. And that's the way in here on the MMA Hour. All right, with that out of the way, let's go to our next guest. I haven't spoken to this gentleman in a while. He's changed weight classes. I don't know if he's changed his haircut or not, but uh, he'll be fighting Carlos Condit at UFC 232. I believe he is joining us on Skype today. The one and only Michael Chiesa joins the show. What? He did Boy, get a haircut. Look at this. It's gone. <laughs> Why did you cut it? Uh, I think my girlfriend was getting burned out on the whole Joe Dirt thing, and uh, I was kind of I was starting to get ready to shave a mustache, and she's like, "All right, you either can keep your haircut and get a mustache, or you can cut your mullet and keep your beard." So I was like, "Yeah, I'll just I'll cut the mullet, start fresh." Wait, hold on, if you had gone through with the mustache idea, what would it have been? Oh yeah. Oh, I was just gonna get the nice, the classic handlebar. Just nothing, nothing too, no handlebar, like down to straight top lip. Not too thick, not too thin, not like a Tom Selleck, but just like a nice, like a nice, clean, like Freddie Mercury style mustache. <laughs> All right. Well, you know what? It looks good. You're back to, you know, normal Thanks, society here. You can fit in with the rest of us. <laughs> How are you feeling these days, man? Um, I know you're obviously you changed to welterweight. I'm assuming this has had a bit of a carryover effect in your life and your training to a degree already, even though your fight's not till uh, late December. Yeah, you know, it's it's just nice not having to stress so much about my weight. You know, it's like when I'm fighting at 55, 
you know, as you've seen, I'm, I'm not a small guy, you know, I'm six, two, I've got, I've got a decent frame and, and, you know, I, I used to have to stress about my weight before I'd even get into camp, you know, and then, um, you know, and then from then, you know, my camps are just miserable. I'm just always thinking about the weight and this and that. And it's like, even if I make, even if I eat right and do the right things, you know, I'm still a big guy. Like right now I'm 205 pounds. You know what I mean? I'm not, are you really I'm not a small guy? Yes. I'm 205 pounds, but I've been on a, you know, I've still been working with Bo Sandoval from the PI yeah. working on my diet, you know, and, and I've been bulking a lot the last eight weeks. Um, but you know, still, even at that, I'd still be North of 193, 194 outside of camp. So I'm just glad that I'm just done fighting the weight. I'm ready to just focus more on being a fighter and being an athlete. You know, I, I work, I, it's like, I tell people, I get tired of training three times a day just to be some scrawny dude. Like I'm, I'm ready to be a big athlete. You know what I mean? I want to be a big, fast, strong athlete. I, I know I have technical skills to go with it, that I think I could have some success at welterweight and my aspirations have stayed the same. I'm still going to work towards winning the UFC world title. So I'm very happy with my decision so far. Um, what do they have you doing at the PI that's different than what you would do at 155? Well, not running as much right now, that's for sure. <laughs> you know, right now I'm just focused on lifting weights and, and just making sure I'm eating the right things. You know, most bodies are made in the kitchen, not just in the gym. So um, just eating the right things, eating the right amounts, um, and just, just doing a lot of bulking right now. Um, you are you know, lifting and it, weights? And it's just, yes, yeah, so lifting a lot of weights and lifting heavy, you know, and that's, I I can tell I've probably gained about six pounds of muscle in the last couple, couple like two and a half months. So uh, you know, I, I just feel good, man. It just did not have to stress about weight. And to some people, I sound like a psycho because I'm like, I'm only, you know, a little more than 30 pounds over. They're like, that's still 30 pounds. I'm like, yeah, well, it beats 50. You know what I mean? Mm. It beats having to cut all that weight. And just you see the trend nowadays. Look at Dustin Poirier. Look at Kelvin Gaston. Look at Robert Whitaker. You know, they're guys that are making that 15 pound jump and they're killing it right now. And, and uh, you know, so I just think the trend now is just go to the weight class that's, that's, that's most suited for your body. You know, I was still kind of part of that trend where it was see how low you can get, get as small as you can get, be, be the biggest guy in your weight class. And I just, I just, it, it started to burn me out. Do you think you did any long-term damage from all those weight cuts? Um, sometimes I do. I, for a long time I did. Um, I think I kind of got out at the right time. You know, I wasn't fighting, you know, when I first got in the UFC, I wasn't lifting weights. And, you know, I had a full-time job. And then once I got in the UFC, I started working on strength conditioning and stuff. And, and, you know, I wasn't fighting as much. So I wasn't making that huge weight cut as much. Um, but I could definitely tell that like when I would get done with a weight cut, it would, the, the residual damage would last for, you know, like a month and a half. I'd just be super bloated, super lethargic. I just feel heavy. Like I, I, my body's not digesting anything. Um, you know, it just really wasn't a good feeling. You know, I'm just excited to go. The biggest thing for me, Luke, is I've been doing this for over 10 years and I love it. It's a blessing to be able to get up and compete and train and make fighting my job. But it started to lose its luster. You know what I mean? When when all I'm doing is just killing myself. Like I'm like, this used to be fun to me. Then now it's like this is fun again. Like I don't have to stress about making this certain weight. I don't have to eat spinach and egg whites year round. Like I can eat and I can be an athlete and I can lift weights and I don't have to just focus on be, cutting weight all the time. I can focus on becoming a better fighter. That was, that was my biggest, my biggest focus is I'm tired of focusing on my weight. I need to focus on being a better fighter. I have deficiencies I need to work on and it's hard to do that. And it's hard to, 
enjoy your training when you're just focused on hitting a certain number on the scale. You know what I mean? All right, so you're uh, going to be taking on Carlos Condit. It's going to be your first fight at welterweight. Um, why Carlos? Well, that's just a fight that came to me. Um, you know, when I talked to my manager, Daniel Rubenstein and Sean, you know, they're just like, you know, you're not going to, just because you're going up to 170 doesn't mean you're going to get, there's not going to be any easy fights from the get-go. You know, you're still going to have to fight tough guys. And I'm like, cool, that's, I'm, you know, I'm not looking for an easy way out. I'm looking, I'm looking to win a world championship. The goal stays the same. Nothing changes. And, uh, you know, when they offered Carlos Condit, you know, that's the, those are the challenges I'm looking for. This is a guy that, you know, could be my toughest test of my career. You know, he's a former world champion. Those are the types of guys I want to fight. You know, Anthony Pettis was my first shot at a former UFC champion. And that's a win I wanted to get really bad to, to beat somebody that held the title that, 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 that had the thing that I'm striving for that I need to get that win under my belt. And, um, you know, I like the challenges that he presents, you know, if you ever, you know, I'm a big fight fan, so I just remember watching the the, the primetime countdown shows of Carlos Condit leading up to a fight with GSP, and you listen to his mindset, that kill-or-be-killed mentality. That's scary for a lot of people, and for me, I like that. I feel like a guy with Carlos's mindset and his skills is going to bring out the best in me. So I'm really, I'm expecting the best Carlos Condit. I'm expecting a violent fight. I'm expecting to go out there and have to fight tooth and nail from bell to bell, and I just love the challenge it presents, and I think that I'm going to be able to show, I haven't got to show even half the fighter that I, that I am just because I've just been cutting too much weight. You know, I'm re really ready to just go out there and, and be who I really am as a fighter. Do you think, I'm going to ask this question as uh, fairly as I can. Do you think yeah. he has been affected by the amount of damage he has taken? You know, that's hard to say. I think, I think Carlos was smart and, you know, we saw him after the Robbie Lawler fight kind of take a hiatus. You know what I mean? We haven't seen him as active as he has been in the past. And I think that maybe that's just being conscious of that. I know that he said something after the Robbie Lawler fight saying, you know, that he got kind of smacked around a little bit and, and wants to give himself a rest. You know, it's hard for me to say, um, you know, I see in the pictures when people, you know, tag me in the Instagram posts of, of him and I next to each other. It looks like he's got a pretty big head, you know, big bones can take big, more damage. So <laughs> it's hard to say, you know, but, uh, nonetheless, you know, whether he's taken too much damage or not, I'm still expecting a really, really tough fight. He's a game competitor. He's, I mean, he's no slouch. This is a guy that's, you know, won world titles in multiple organizations and he's game and he's violent and he's got a crazy mindset. And I'm just, I'm just ready to go out there and scrap with him. Why do you think they paired you two up? Um, you know, maybe it's because we're both on a skid, you know, maybe it's the matchup, you know, who knows? I'd like to, I'd like to think it's more the matchup, you know, Carlos is, you know, I have had 11 UFC fights and I've had five, uh, performance of the night bonuses. So I'm not necessarily a boring fighter and we all know Carlos is about as exciting as it gets. Um, so, you know, maybe that's it. Maybe it's the skid who knows, but either way, I'm, you know, I'm looking forward to it. I don't think this is any loser leaves town fight by any means. You know, I've, I've had a lot of success in the UFC. We've seen guys, you know, you know, Michael Johnson acquired four losses and they never cut him. He, he just went out there and got a win. Um, so I'm not even thinking about that, but I'd like to think that this is a matchup thing. I think that this is a fun matchup for the fans. Uh, I think it's going to be on the main card for the pay-per-view. So it's like, you know, I think that this is just, they're putting this fight together because what do they do on the end of the year? End of the year cards usually got a lot of exciting fights. And so I think me and Carlos could go out there and steal the show. Oh, by the way, the uh, post-fight bonuses, like some people do something special with them. What do you do with them? Do you just throw them in the bank account and it's all part of the same fund or what? 
Uh, no, I focused actually, I bought a house. So I, my dream is to always have a, a log house growing up. I, you know, I'm from Washington, so it's a, you certainly you know, are I grew up just, being, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I grew up, you know, just being in love with log houses. And so, um, you know, I stacked up enough money until I was able to buy a log house on some property, um, out here in Washington and I bought it off a of bank auction. So I had to buy it kind of outright and remodel it and stuff. So I really put all my money into that and now we got we call it the Kiesa Dojo. So I got a I got a nice little spread with with a log house, a pool, a big garage, and stuff like that. But it's it's all log, so it's uh that's where I that's where I put all my money if I put it into put it into my dream home. What is a reasonable and uh, attainable goal for you in 2019 in terms of advancement at welterweight? Just get back in contention. You know what I mean? I I got as high as rank being seventh at lightweight. And I, I truly believe, I really believe this deep down to my bones that I was really only fighting to have my potential. You know what I mean? I, I really feel like that going up to 170, I'm going to really be able to show my skill set. I'm not going to be a small welterweight. I'm bigger than, I would say, probably 80% of the guys that are already welterweights right now. So my goal for 2019, win fights, get in the top 10, maybe shoot getting close to, closer to the top five by the end of 2019. But my long-term goal is still the same, Luke. People may say I'm crazy. A lot of people say I can't pull it off. I don't give a fuck what they say. I know deep down I'm destined to be a world champion, and maybe it's to be maybe it's to be obtained in the, in the most prestigious division in the UFC at welterweight. So that is my long-term goal. But for now, 2019 and in the top 10. So you think uh, – that's interesting. You think welterweight is more prestigious than lightweight? In a sense, I do because you got to look at the champions. You know what I mean? Matt Hughes, you know, nine-time world champion. George St. Pierre, as of late, Tyron Woodley's really cemented his legacy as being one of the best welterweights. I think that we, we you know, and then you could go back even further than that to, to like Pat Militich, you know what I mean, or, or Carlos Newton or those types of guys. So I think it's, you know, welterweight, you know, as we know, what lightweight had a hiatus in the UFC. They kind of got rid of the weight class for a while, but, you know, it's had great guys as well. You know, they had BJ Penn, they've had, you know, uh, you know, as of now, Khabib and Megamedov, Conor McGregor, a lot of good, a lot of, a lot of great, phenomenal fighters. But I feel like welterweight is one of the most prestigious ones. I feel like that's part of the reason why they won't start 165 and 175 is you can't just drop a weight, a weight class like 170 when it has as much history and as much of a legacy as it does. You are though in favor of 165. Oh, you saw, you saw my, you saw my tweets. You saw my idea. You saw where my brain's at. Yeah. yeah. By the way, it was a sensational idea, but I, for the folks who didn't, I was asking for a clarification. So, so my idea, I think, you know, for obvious reasons, we need more weight classes. You look at the, look at the event for MSG when <clears throat> it's hard to find a championship title fight when everyone's kind of tied up or there's injuries and stuff. And I think more titles means more opportunities to have more main events, more opportunities for a guy like, let's say, you know, let's say, you know, they start 165 and then you could do Connor and Nate Diaz for the 65 pound title. And Connor gets a shot at becoming a, a three time, three division champion. That's lucrative to me, you know? And, and I think that right now is the perfect time to start a 165 and a 175 because you, you make the GSP Woodley deal done. Somehow you find a way to get those two to fight. Make it, give them the offer that they can't refuse. I think it's more on GSP's end than it is on Tyron's. You have those guys fight for the last welterweight fight of all time to, to solidify who's the GOAT. I mean, George St. Pierre is not out of his prime. The guy just won the middleweight title from, from Michael Bisping uh, less than a year ago. You know what I mean? So I think that he still has a lot of fight left in him. Make that the last welterweight fight for GOAT status, and then let's let's – 
start something new. You know what I mean? Changes need to be made. I think there needs to be more divisions. Um, and I'm not even for sure at this point, if I would go 65, I might go 75. I might opt to go a little heavier than I would to go a little lighter. Mm. You know what I mean? But, but I think, you know, take myself out of the equation and just thinking about the sport as a whole, I think it would do a lot of good for us to have more champions. More champions means more, more title fights, more, more opportunities to, to create more superstars. And that's what the UFC is fueled on. They're fueled on superstars. They're still fueled by the pay-per-view model. You need more champions. You need more superstars. All right. Now, I know uh, I'm going to be very careful with this. I know that there are certain things uh, you probably cannot talk about. You have an ongoing lawsuit. And I'm not going to ask you about anything you can't talk about. But I am going to try to ask you about things maybe you can. Um, number one, the response from the community to the lawsuit. I'm wondering if you can speak about some of the negative pushback that you received. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, you know, I'm going to tread lightly with this. Okay. Um, obviously I can't really, I can't really say a whole lot. Um, you know, but it just has not been good. You know what I mean? It, and it's, uh, you know, a lot of, you know, even my girlfriend and my mom get messages and comments and, you know, they don't just, they're, they're not, they're not a part of this. And, and it's, it's kind of a shame when, you know, my mom's a sensitive lady, you know what I mean? And I, I do my best to protect her and stuff. And when she tells me about some of the mean things that are getting sent her way, it really, it, it's a shame. You know what I mean? It, 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 anybody can say whatever they want to me. This is about me. This isn't about my family. And, um, you know, it, just, it hasn't been great. So I can imagine the harassment has been uh, substantial. Let me ask you about something else. One, It's semi-related. One of the uh, reasons, correct me if I'm wrong. Oh, this is your house, by the way. Yeah, this is, as you can see. <laughs> well, you aren't kidding. That really is a log cabin. Yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> That's <sir>. wild, man. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. One, one, of the, one of the reasons why, as I understand it, you went to welterweight was for your health. The other one, though, was you didn't like the way you promoted the Pettis fight, that trying to trash talk, not that you minded trash talk per se, but it got to a degree that it was inauthentic. Let me ask you about the game generally, because – as an MMA media guy, I've just sort of had to make peace with it. I have I have no desire to hear it. It doesn't do anything for me. But the market speaks so strongly that I have no other choice but to recognize its value. But I'm wondering, do you think it's toxic? Do you think it has um, – is it just for fight fodder or has it gone too far? I think there's a certain line. I think if it's authentic, let it, you know, let it happen. Like, you know, for instance, me and Kevin, when we had our beef, that was real. You know what I mean? That, there was nothing scripted. There was nothing staged there. That wasn't forced. Dude piped off about my mom. I flipped out. That created, that created authentic beef. The Pettis thing was just me forcing something. That was me. You know, this goes back to when the fight got over and everything got done and I'm, I'm sitting at home shell-shocked. I've been gone from my – I literally – I was gone from Spokane for like – five months. I spent four months down in camp down in Las Vegas. And, you know, I'm talking to John Wood and, and I was like, you know, you know, what do you think? What do you think about the fight? He's like, you know what I think, Mike? He's like, I think that you need to just go back to who you were before. He goes, you were, when I met you, you were just a blue collar, humble guy who let your winning do the talking. And he's like, I think that you let trying to, trying to, trying to feed into this monster the, the, the MMA, you know, fan base has come to be consumed by, which they like this trash talk. They like the banter. They like the belittling. They like the, you know, everything that goes with that. He's like, yeah, that's not you. He's like, why? So why are you doing it? You know? And I was like, man, you're really right. Like that really isn't who I am. I was this whole Pettis thing. Like 
deep down, I'm a fanboy. You know what I mean? This is a guy I, I love this. I'm a fanboy first before I'm a fighter. And this is a guy that I was excited to get matched up against Anthony Pettis, a guy that I've been a fan of since before I started ever even training. You know what I mean? So why am I talking shit to the guy? That's just not who I am. And, uh, you know, I'm glad that I, you know, I, I learned my lesson. You know what I mean? I don't know if that's why I was meant to lose, but I got beat by a better guy that night, but you can't just look at it like that. You got to take more from it. And I think that that was just like a reality check. Like, you know what, even if, you know, I might not get more followers on my Instagram. I'm just not going to be that guy to talk shit anymore. That's just not who I am. I'm, you know, that's not how I was raised. That's not, that was not my upbringing. I'm a blue collar guy from Spokane, Washington. It was raised to just be respectful, be a sportsman and just, you know, you know, speak with your performances. And, and I'm just glad that I'm just back to my old ways. You know what I mean? Yeah. But let me ask you about the game more generally. Is it good yeah. for MMA? Is it bad for MMA? And I, I, I know that's a, broad, that's a okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. I think it's bad. You know what I mean? In the era when it was Chuck Liddell and Matt Hughes and those guys, you know, MMA fans weren't the way they are now. They weren't mean. They weren't volatile. They weren't, you know, they weren't calling people names, bantering their their social media and stuff. And granted, social media platforms weren't where they were now, but it's definitely like you know, as athletes you know, we have, we have a fan base, some smaller than others where they follow us and they, they emulate us, you know, in a lot of different ways. And I think that when, when we're promoting fights by talking shit to each other, belittling each other and all that, the fans, they, they absorb that. And, you know, and, and I think that that's what creates this toxic fan base. You know, I, I hate, I hate hearing people say, you know, MMA fans are the worst. And it's like, ah, dang, you know, like, I don't want to say that because I think MMA fans are great, but in the same sense, like I don't ever see people that don't like LeBron James say volatile, mean ass shit about him. But for some reason, MMA fans just have like a they they just they they throw a lot of shade to a lot of the athletes, and it, it can be pretty bad, especially you know some there's certain female fighters I'm good friends with, and I I they, they take it very personally, and I feel bad for them. I take I take what's said to me with a grain of salt, but some some people. Um, you know, they don't tread lightly with it. They they take it very personally. Well, you know what? It sounds like you're turning over a new leaf. You're literally living in a log, a log cabin in the woods, man. <laughs> and you got a fresh haircut, a fresh weight class, and a fresh outlook. I'm looking forward to your next fight at UFC 232. And uh, what you got in store for us in 2019, man? Uh, 2019, man, is just winning fights, getting back to my old ways, and I just want to end the contention. I got a lot of people to prove wrong, and... Um, you know what? I'm just, I'm just excited to, uh, I'm excited. For, it's, I feel like this is like, after being in the sport for 10 years, I feel like I'm starting over, you know what I mean? So I'm just really excited for this fresh start and I'm excited for what's to come, man. Can't wait to see it. I'll be in Vegas for your fight. Thank you so much, Michael. And, uh, we'll talk soon. See you buddy. Thank you, Luke. Yep. There he goes. All right. Like the new haircut, the beard's always on point. Can't hate on that. Let us go now to our next guest. Uh, doesn't need much of an introduction. He's the UFC's double champ. He is the lightweight and heavyweight champion of the world. He'll be fight, fighting Derek Lewis just down the street from here at UFC 230 in the main event. Daniel Cormier is here. Hi, Daniel. How are you? How you doing, bud? I'm doing quite well, sir. Uh, boy, Daniel, you, got, you took us all by surprise with this one, man. Um, so I'll start off with this question. How on earth did this fight come together? Man, you know, I... Uh... I've always wanted to compete, but you know, I was hurt and I kind of set my sights on just waiting for Brock. And then, um, 
fight in a few weeks and I was like well I mean honestly I, I, I'm not ready to fight right now but you know I could see where I stand I could see if there's any chance that I could could get in the fight I go I fight and they said Derek Lewis I said okay let me go see if my uh my hand will hold up when I punch something if it does and yeah I'll go fight yeah so give us an update on the hand I guess it's not a hundred percent but it's good enough to fight Yes, it is. It's good enough to fight. It's not 100%. Got to be honest. You know, um, I still, my fist is like closing, but not all the way. You know, it feels like now I have like a badly jammed uh, uh, finger, right? Like, it feels like my fingers just jam really badly right now. You ever had like, you ever, you ever had like a, you ever have like a, uh, a jam finger and you just can't really like pop it. So it kind of like sticks up a little bit more than the uh, other finger. That's what my hand is right now. So my pointer finger doesn't close completely. Like I can't make it close tight fist, but it just feels like if I could pop it, I would be okay. The problem is I'm just too afraid to pop it. It hurts. I'm like, I'm not popping. I'm just kind of hoping that if I'm sparring, I punch someone and it pops. And then huh. I'm back to normal. I hope. <laughs> How has it affected your training? Because I'm guessing you're doing you can do some things, but but probably not a lot of things though, right? No, I can do I can do a lot of things, right? Some sparring, I'm just not hitting as hard with my with my right hand. All right, I'm not um, hitting as hard with my right hand. I can wrestle, but you know, I'm just I'm just trying to be very careful. Look like working around it. Because if it's going to like, if something's going to happen, I prefer it to happen in the fight than in the training room. Because how horrible would it be if I take this fight three weeks to the fight and have to pull out a week later? Right. I was wondering about that. So you have to really kind of dial it back a little bit for self-preservation reasons, which is normally true anyway, but it seems like especially true here. Well, yeah, you know, just, just really managing it. I'm telling you, I'm going hard though. Like I'm hitting dudes. I'm punching dudes and trying to get ready to fight. You know what I mean? I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna cheat myself and go into this fight with Derek. You know, I have to be very prepared. Um, guy's a big, strong, tough guy that uh that's there to win the fight. So I've got to be prepared to to do everything in there. All right, let's talk about Derek Lewis. Um, I'm sure you've seen all of the Popeyes uh, references. What do you make of all of that? Do you like the that that people bring that up? Do you not like it? Where do you stand on it? I think it's fine, but I think they need to stop doing it and making these free posters until Popeye's makes gives me my money. <laughs> We've been talking to him. He's like, what are you guys doing? He's like, you guys are really messing with my finances here. Like, I've been in talks with Popeye's, you know, and like about stuff. And, and uh, we really haven't come to like a great, great agreement, but it's like everybody's like giving him shit free. It's like, what's the point? Never like making a deal with this guy. Wait, wait, wait. Let's look back up a step here. So you've legitimately had some talks with Popeye's about like what a sponsorship yeah. deal or something? Yeah, well, from, see, kind of, look, I'm from Louisiana, so me just being even on a Popeye's commercial isn't a bad thing. It's not just a chicken. I was like, it, I'm, I'm from Louisiana, so it's like a, a company and a, and a restaurant that I've grown up on, you know? So, yeah, yeah I've spoken to them on a couple of occasions, and uh, we were very close back in 2014 when everybody was mad about the uh, the cake and chicken video. Popeye's was, like, super excited about it. So I almost got paid out of that deal. And then it just fell apart because we couldn't come to terms. And now we're uh, we're chatting with him a little bit more since you know that old thing. Derek's from Louisiana too. 
So yeah. it just kind of makes sense. But everybody making those dang posters and shit, man. It's like, well, guys, calm down. Like, don't give it away free. <laughs> All right. But in terms of Derek Lewis as an opponent, it's like, I don't know what to think, man. He's super perseverant. He comes back and fights all the time. But, you know, while your hand isn't necessarily 100%, dude, he took a lot of shots in that fight against Volkov. What exactly are you expecting from him on November 3rd? I expect him to come hard very fast to try to knock me out. I mean, I think uh, Derek Derek understands that he uh, has to win this fight quickly. And um, his best course of vic- best course to victory is to come out there and try to get this fight finished quick. Because over 25 minutes, um, people haven't, no one's shown the ability to go with me that long except for Jones. You know, so uh, I don't think that Derek would see himself in those, in, those, in that light. But um, he needs to get this done quick if he's going to win this fight. All right. So there's a lot of different complicating factors about this. Um, let's sort of get into some of the details here. Number one, mm-hmm. uh, it looks like they're going to take away your title because now Jones and Gustafson are going to be fighting uh, two months later. You will actually get to compete as the champ champ, which I don't think anyone yeah. has done in the UFC. So that's kind of cool. No. But I'm wondering your that's feelings cool, yeah. about losing that light heavyweight title. It sucks. You know, it, it sucks, but because I defended the belt in January, I do understand the promotion having to move forward. You know, I'm not, I'm not so stuck in myself that I believe that, uh, they, they could never, they would just wait for me as long as I needed them to wait. I understand, you know, but it does suck. You know, it, it does suck, but it is what it is at this point. You know, I'm not going to change it, you know? So it's like, what's the, what's the point in, uh, in, um, and wasting the energy on, 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 uh, on complaining, you know? So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go and do this thing and go into November 3rd as the double champion and, and compete, uh, hopefully defend my title and then, uh, uh, be the heavyweight champion of the world and move forward to the Brock Lesnar fight. All right. Do you think a champ champ should have the right to at least defend once in each weight class before they get stripped? Uh, it's, it, I think, my intention when I won the second belt was to do both, but I think now, um, as I look at it, it's, it, it's hypothetically, it's much more difficult to do than actually doing it. Mm. Right. Like when it happens, you have these, these grand aspirations of what you're going to do, um, as a, uh, a double champion. It's just very difficult to think how you're going to do it. Now, now if I still had two, three years left in my career, then maybe my approach would be different. But being that next year is the last year, uh, um, I don't. I don't think it's possible. Uh, your prediction for the Jones Gustafson fight? What is it? I think Jones wins the fight. I think uh, you know. I've, I've never once shot away from the fact that he's a fantastic fighter. You know, he's a really talented guy, and uh, it seems. I mean, obviously, he can can go with me and keep up with me. So he obviously has to be putting in a lot of hard work. So. He must be a hard worker uh, in that sense. So, um, and I know that Alex, for as good as he is too, because he's a good fighter. For as good as Alex is, he struggled in those big moments, and uh, this is a really, really big moment. And he's gonna uh, have to fight to his level or uh, above his level to try and win. And the, the major issue is that you know Jones has he fought. Uh, I think maybe more recent than Gustafson did. He did. Yep. That's a yeah. crazy factor. It is. I'm wondering, like, do you, 
What was different about John the second time you faced him in terms of physicality? Was he slowed at all? Was it uh, fight IQ higher? And I'm not because I'm asking you to weigh in on a potential fight with you guys in the future, but for Gustafson, in other words, like is John immune to ring rust in your mind? No, he wasn't different. He was he, he wasn't different. If anything, I, I hit him easier. Uh, I was able to hit him more clean in the second fight, but I don't believe that was due to him having anything, uh, him being any worse. I just think that we had prepared ourselves for, uh, to fight him again. You know, I had been in there with him before kind of knew what to expect and, uh, knew what to expect and, uh, and, uh, you know, had more success because of it, you know? So, um, I don't think, I think that, that I think that he, he got hit more because of the preparation that we put in, uh, for the fight. But, yeah, he, he's a very smart guy. You know, he works and he makes adjustments very well in there. And, and uh, obviously, it showed him landing that kick. And it wasn't even a kick. Like, I mean, the kick the kick hurt. You know, it, it really put me on Beach Street. But it wasn't even a kick. You know, it was the finishing sequence. You know, he's one of those guys that when he gets an opponent hurt, he has a really, really good ability to go find the finish. All right. Uh, real quickly, if I can ask one more question about the fight with Lewis. Now, he, as I understand it, we were going to get him on the show, but he has to do his medicals today. Presumably, he'll be cleared. But you are fighting in New York, man, and they are a strange bunch up here. I'm wondering, do you have any concerns, even in the back of your mind, that either of you might get um, prevented from making it to the finish line by an overzealous commission? I hope not. I mean, (laughs) I think it's a fun fight, you know. It's a fight that... uh, that we need to make right now. You know, it's the fight that works in this moment. All right. Let's talk about Stipe Miocic. I'm sure you have seen some of the things. You responded to some of the things that he said. Here's the interesting question. I had this debate on my radio show because I don't know what the right answer is. You already fought him. You already beat him. They, you guys had a fight scheduled in January. You fought in July. You had seven months. And he called the win a fluke. I, I don't know that I understand that characterization, but here's the better part. He accused you of ducking him on the third. And this is like an actual question I'm sort of asking you to put on your analyst hat here. Can you duck somebody you already beat? I don't think so, but I think, so again, it's all about perception, right? So if you can create this idea that I ducked him, then okay, maybe you'll get some people to rally and support you. And it's work, Luke. I mean, I have never seen Steven Miocic have so much support in my whole entire career. I mean, people are like, why are you ducking Stipe? Like, I put a picture up on the kid that signed a scholarship to go to college the other day, and I got, like, a whole bunch of them going, why are you ducking Stipe? I'm like, I can't duck a guy I just beat within one round four months ago, or three, not even three months ago. Like, I'm not ducking him. If anything, I was trying to give Stipe credit for the fact that he's a, a good fighter that I wanted to give him my best effort, right? I want to fight him at my best. So I need six weeks and not a a busted up hand to fight him. But, you know, people get a little bit desperate when something that they truly love gets taken away from them. And and you can see it in Stipe. And so why do you think the UFC picked Derek? It's, I mean, it seems to me the answer DC is that he had this incredible comeback win Yep. And and dude, people like Stipe, no doubt about it. To your point, they're hitting you up for it about it constantly, right? But people also love Derek to a pretty pretty amazing degree. 
people love Derek, man. I mean, numbers, you know, Derek, Derek, Derek Lewis's social media exploded after uh, UFC, shh, UFC 229, shh, UFC 229. You know, I think the guy gained like 700,000 followers overnight. You know, like it's crazy. You know, like he, he, he has a way to draw people in because he's so loose. You know, the guy is out there having a good time. I mean, Derek Luton in one night, he's got 1.3 million social media followers. Stipe was the heavyweight champion of the world for almost two years and has 700,000, you know. And it's sad, too, because Stipe is the type of guy that everyone should rally around. He's, he's a fireman. He's a great guy. He's a good competitor. But they like that's something different, and Derek presents something different, and he's got momentum right now. Interesting. Um, all right, let's talk about a couple other issues, if I can. Just in terms of the fight itself from UFC 229, how would you grade your uh, teammate Habib Nurmagomedov's performance? I thought Khabib fought beautifully. I thought he implemented the game plan that he wanted to implement, fought uh, the way that he wanted to fight, and, and did exactly what he needed to do. I, I, thought, I thought he fought beautifully. Uh, the third round, did you score that for McGregor or for him? I thought it was very close, but I mean, it was a complete stand-up fight. And, um, I thought either Connor won it 10-9 or, or 10-10, just like, a, like an even round. I mean, okay. I really did not see that much of a difference. He made a lot of good shots himself, you know, but um, I, I kind of thought it could have been a 10-10 round because they, they used to score it just on the the, the, the new score system, right? Uh, you know, I can't even keep track anymore, to be honest with you. <laughs> it's, my, it's my job to keep track, and I can't even do that. Yeah, it's too much. Uh, all right, but let me ask you about this. What did you make of McGregor's wrestling? I thought, you know, here was my sense. It was like Habib just keeps knocking at the door, and you might have the ability to close the door two, three, maybe even four times. But he just keeps knocking until he finds an answer for it, and there's just no way anybody, Conor McGregor or God knows who else, can keep up with that. Honestly, man, that first takedown, I thought he did a freaking, I was like, wow. I was like, wow. He really made him work for this takedown because to be, this is what we say at, at AKA, right? We try, to, we try to get you lost in the sauce. We want to get you lost in the sauce, right? Like when we're on a leg, we want to give you one. Okay, you'll defend two. You'll defend three. Then you start going, okay, wait, wait a minute. Like, you, then you start to get lost. You get lost in all the different transitions from move to move to move. And eventually, we get you down. And then once we get you down, obviously, you know, uh, it's very difficult to get back up. But we tried to, I was like, wow, he didn't get lost in it. Like, Khabib had to hit him with, like, number, Khabib had to go to level four to get that first takedown. He went high crotch. He went crack down. He went try to get the angle. He tried to run the pipe. Then he had to actually go to his knees, look across the back to get to a double just to get Connor down the first time. Connor didn't get lost. Like he really did a good job. And that's why if you're Team McGregor, there's cause for concern. Because I don't know if he could do that any better. And he still got beat in the way that he got beat. Hmm, that's why. I think uh, if you're Team McGregor, you should, you'd be concerned about a fight with the Mega Metal. Because yeah. I don't think he could defend any better. I thought that was as good as – because he did a good job. And I don't know if he could do it any better. 
Right, like a year of training, you can't make up the difference. I mean, you could do better, but you can't really make up the difference, can you? Well, he's going he's, – because then he's going to go to level five, and he's going to go to level six, and he's going to just keep putting different things behind each other until eventually you kind of can't keep up. See, the people that's what that's what Harry that's what Harry Cejudo does. That's what he did to DJ a couple times to get those takedowns. You know who did it really good was Tatiana Suarez, right? Like mm-hmm. so, Tatiana shoots a double leg on Carlos Barza, knowing Carlos is going to defend it. She knew, like, there's no way I'm just going to take this girl down. She's wrestling too long. She shot that double leg not for that first shot. She shot that double leg to get Carla to defend, drop her hands, and when Carla dropped her hands, arm drag. Now Carla's on the bottom. She, the first shot was never the intent. That's why my takedown offense is like 45%. I don't care. I'm just throwing shots at you until eventually I'll grab one of them. I'm just throwing different things at you until I get the reaction I want. Then I can go to my finish. Let me ask you one final question here before we let you go, and I really appreciate your time, DC. It's the uh, We've talked about the brawl to death, but there's something that relates mm-hmm. to you about the brawl, which was I noticed you had a social media post afterwards saying, like, hey, look, everyone here has got some responsibility, but, like, look, if you cross these lines, not everyone's playing with you, and I think that's a point well taken. I wonder, in writing that, do you reflect at all on some of the back and forth you and John have had? Now, I'm not suggesting you or John have said anything the level of what Connor did to Habib. That's not what I'm saying. No, 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 I get it. No, but here's the thing though. If we were to fight afterwards or do anything like that, John and I would be okay with it. And I think, um, you know, uh, there was never going to be a time where either of us were looking for, um, essentially an olive branch, like, yo, we're just doing business out here. You know what I'm saying? Like there was never going to be a time. And that's where the difference is. It's like what we said and did to each other was so truly real. And we were looking for uh, an olive branch. And that's where the difference was. Like everything we said was not for fight promotion. Those are true things. You know, he, he, he makes fun of me crying because he truly enjoys the fact that he made me cry. I make fun of those things because I know that that bothers him. Like, so we're never looking for an olive branch. So no, it's not different, you know? And I think kind of just, he was building a fight and there was just a little bit of a difference in the approach, you know, when he was building the fight and kind of going home going, you know, like, okay, yeah, I think that might've got him a little bit or, you know, got under his skin the whole time it's causing this guy to just go, God, I hate him, man. I can't stand this dude. I want to hurt him. And then, uh, going back to the gym and training harder and more, you know? So that's where the difference lies. It's like, we never regretted anything we said to each other or about each other. And it was okay. If it just continued to escalate. Interesting. Well, DC, I could talk to you for a thousand years, but of course we don't have that kind of time. I look forward to your fight at UFC 230 versus Derek Lewis. I will of course be covering it. And we always appreciate your time here on the show. Thank you so much. All right, there he goes. Uh, We go from one uh, great wrestler and great analyst to another great wrestler, great fighter, and great analyst. Didn't necessarily go his way on Saturday, but I wanted to check in with him just the same. He was in the main event opposite Fedor Emelianenko at Bellator 208. He is a podcaster extraordinaire and the whole nine. Uh, Chael Sonnen joins us now. Mr. Sonnen, how are you, sir? Well, listen to that intro. That was very nice of you. I'm doing good. What's happening, Luke? How are you feeling, sir? And I, what, what I mean by that is, first, physically, how are you feeling? 
All right, physically, everything hurts, and, and I, that has nothing to do with uh, with whether you win or you lose, man. You know what gets me more than anything is those canvases. My knees are all skinned up. My toes are all skinned up. Uh, my elbows are all skinned up. Every time I have a fight, it's like it's like falling off a bicycle, but uh, I, that's about it. You know, my, my head, he hit me with a missile about five seconds in, and uh, that one that one still hurts a little bit, but other than that, I am doing well. You know, what's interesting about that, I went back and I watched some of the punches. Uh, this is a serious question. How, how are your teeth? Are they okay? Yeah, my teeth are okay. It's funny you ask that. You know, uh, if, if, I had one, uh, if I had one wish going into a fight aside from serious injury, it's that I won't lose a tooth. I've had that same wish since I started this when I was 19 years old. So uh, it's very kind that you thought of old Chael's teeth, but you aren't the only one. And yes, they're all intact. All right. Now, emotionally, how are you feeling? Because it's a weird fight, right? Like it was a chaotic affair. You took him down at times. There were moments that you had. You moved to Mount for a brief moment, but in the end, obviously, it didn't go your way. So, like, when you reflect on what happened, what happened? Emotionally, well, you know, I, I get heartbroken about these things. You know, it's it's a. Uh... From a competitive standpoint, Luke, that I have dedicated my whole life to it since I was nine years old, and I would have started earlier if my dad would have let me. He wouldn't let me start until, until I was nine. So, uh, man, it hurts. It hurts really bad. You don't get those moments back. I've had this same feeling before, though. Um, I'm convinced in my own interpretation, but I'm convinced this is – this is what it means to be a fighter. And, uh, you know, somewhere over time, that word became corrupted. It became about the punches and the kicks. But I've always believed that it was feeling like I'm feeling right now and getting be- getting out of bed anyway and facing the media, facing you and this phone call and everything else and getting back on it. So now I got to be a fighter. I prefer to be a winner. I prefer to be on top of the world and looking down on everybody else. But today I got I to gotta fight. Uh, okay. Well, I, I won't make this too difficult for you. I hope I'm not part of the, um, the painful process. I will, I will be as limited in that regard as I can be. So let me ask you about this. What was the game plan? Now your game plans never vary too, too much, but I'm wondering if there was anything particular tactically you were hoping to implement with him. Well, so I wanted to come right across the ring. I, I fought uh, 49 guys, I guess 50 now, counting fatal. I've never been outstruck. Not one single time have I lost uh, the, the stand-up part of a fight. And uh, I can't say that anymore. I guess this is this is as in when I woke up Saturday morning. This is the first stand-up I've ever lost. But these guys, I didn't think he was fast enough to catch me. I didn't think he I thought it'd be too quick. So I was going to come across and distract him, distract him with some punches, get into a clinch or get into a double leg, but make it a wrestling match. I wanted to have my hands on him at all times. I was ready for some of those Sambo throws. I was ready for them to go against me. I was ready for him to succeed with those throws uh, and have to scramble on the mat. So it wasn't like a real sophisticated game plan as much as it was just pressure based. I just wanted to, I wanted to fight. Excuse me. I wanted to be on him. I wanted him to have to respond. Um, but I also thought I could take his shots. I didn't see that. I didn't see that. Uh, I still didn't see those punches, Luke. They were so fast. I, I was so impressed. I, I feel like even in, in spite of uh, hanging my head a little bit today, I got to give him his credit. I don't want to take it from him. He earned it. And uh, I got to credit his fat, his speed. His speed and his power was, was very uh, difficult for me. You know, it's interesting. There was always this narrative about Fedor, like, he, oh, he had all the success at heavyweight, dot, 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 despite being a guy who could have fought at middleweight. But it sounds like what you're telling me was he actually, maybe he is a smaller guy when you look at him, but in terms of his punching power, it sounds to me like what you're saying is he hits like a heavyweight. 
Yeah. Oh, I, most certainly. You know, and I saw that through the TV. I just saw some of those big guys. Brett Rogers comes to mind, but maybe because they played that highlight for me. But you know, when he connects with those big guys, and that was another thing I thought I had opportunity for. I thought, yeah, he's hitting these guys. You know, but these guys are heavy bags. These guys aren't bouncing. These guys aren't moving. These guys aren't offering a threat of a takedown or an accuracy of a takedown. I just thought. I am going to be able to deal with this. It doesn't matter that it's at heavyweight. I, I'm smart enough and I'm athletic enough. I'm going to be able to deal with this. And uh, I wish I would have had more minutes. You know, anytime you get stopped, that's usually my biggest wish, even in front of getting my hand raised, just more opportunity to try, more minutes to uh, see if I could explore some things or, or find some success. But, um, yeah, he hit like a heavyweight. I think those were your words. I'm going to agree with you, yeah. Um, does this at all, I don't know what your, actually it's interesting, I don't know what your opinion was on who the greatest heavyweight of all time was prior to this fight, but I'm wondering if the result in any way uh, perhaps edits that a little bit. Well, so I have it down to three. My three might surprise you, uh, and I actually enjoy this topic. So I have Fedor in the conversation. I have uh, Verdum in the conversation, but I, I always uh, am very strong and always surprised if people don't say Josh Barnett in that conversation. I feel like they weren't watching, uh, you know, back in 1999 and 2002 and 2003. Uh, so I have those three guys. And then what order you want to do it? I would probably put Fedor at one, but I, I love the, the debate. But for me, it is down to those three. I think Kane took himself out. I, how disrespectful, but I, I he just... Kane sits in the locker room a little too much for me to put him on that list. Yeah, I was just about to ask you because your uh, opponent, Fedor, said that was the guy I like to watch. And he, and he said something kind of like lamentable, right? He was like, but he doesn't really compete nowadays. I got kind of sad when he said that. Um, but it does. it seems like you agree that would probably affect his legacy a little bit. I think that it would. I think he had some fantastic moments, and, and I'm not sure there was anybody alive that could beat him, but all we can do is discuss that. He just didn't walk out there and show it enough times. You know, because these are just conversations anyway. It comes down to popular opinion. you got to be able to out-argue the guy across from you. That's how these pound-for-pound greats last, and I do think that Kane shortened himself. I think he was the most intimidating heavyweight when he was in there, ever, I put him right up there with George Foreman as far as the scariest guys to ever have to get in the ring with. But, uh, yeah, I kind of have him as a, as a fourth or a fifth out of, out of the conversation. Uh, all right, Chael. So I'm, I know you were probably busy, but I'm, at this point, you probably have seen the Bader-Mitrion fight, right? I know all about it. I don't physically watch it, but yes. I mean, it was complete. It was basically what you probably thought it was, uh, you know, complete and total domination. I'm wondering now, size up those two. What are you expecting in the finals of the heavyweight Grand Prix? Well, I think the Bader is uh, is pretty underrated. I think that, th- that that should be blasphemy to call a sitting world champion who's now a number one contender for yet another world championship underrated. But I think you know what I mean. I don't think that people fully give him his due. Uh, I think he's got really good hands on top of the condition in the wrestling. He's also the right size. You know, right around that 230 range, that's a good size for a heavyweight. Um if if Bader gets hit, he's going to be in big trouble. Uh, you know, I don't know what his chin and his jaw are like. He doesn't usually have to test it. I think he's got a lot of ways to win the fight. I think um, particularly the longer it goes and the the more he can keep his hands on him and, and the more pressure, I think that it's, I think Bader's in a really good spot, but uh, I, I can't deny the, the, the power of, uh, of Fedor either. I, I think, uh, I think as the fight gets a little closer, Luke, and old Chael's head starts to feel a little better, I could give you more of an eloquent response, but I kind of like Bader's spot. 
Yeah, I like it too. Here, here's the interesting part about that, Chael. If Bader wins, he becomes the first Bellator champ champ, which is interesting in its own right. What do you think it might mean if Fedor wins? Because I'll be honest, Chael, and I, I, I thought after uh, the Fabio Maldonado fight, I had left Fedor, metaphorically speaking, for dead. I thought that was truly the end of his career. And if he wins the heavyweight Grand Prix, even against a guy light heavyweight like, like Bader, I don't know, man. That would be a pretty remarkable career resurgence, wouldn't it be? Yeah, yeah, and hard to not give him his due, right? Because the Grand Prix is just so fair and so honest. It's it's just so I w- I'm so fortunate to get to compete in it. Only in that it's the first time I've ever. There's no politics, Luke. You know, people ask me, well, "Where's the trash talk?" And where's the what, what trash talk? It's a straight line bracket. It's a tournament. Your skills are the only thing that are going to get you through. And when you look at the hammers that stepped up into that tournament, yeah, it's really remarkable. And I like that you said that because. Uh, you know, I've had to break a lot of rules in my in my career too, and I'm not talking about laws. I, I'm talking about you know there are rules out there that say if a fighter gets old, if a fighter slows down, when a fighter starts not looking the same, he can never come back. And I don't like that. I, I, I've never been in a situation where, including the one I'm in right now, where you don't use it as a motivator and use that tape and use that footage to get better. I, I, but there seems to be a rule out there that once you look bad against a Fabio Maldonado uh, in this business, that it's over. And you got to break those rules. You can't let that stuff apply to you. And I don't, I don't feel that Fedor let it apply to him. He started training differently. He started going out uh, wherever he, Amsterdam, wherever that country's at. Uh, yes. he, but he started training differently, and that's what a real fighter does. He gets better. He, he he finds a way to come back, and I admire that in anyone that can do it. But I also look down on the guys that can't. Man, don't don't let that stuff stick to you. Uh, so, are you probably are you done competing for the year in terms of being inside the Bellator cage? Unfortunately, I mean, they, they only let you have three fights a year. It drives me absolutely insane. But um, I, I don't know what's going to be next or, or, or where I go. But if you're asking me about this calendar year with only a couple of months left, I, I wouldn't think I'd get back in there that quick. I would yeah. I would like to, but it, it just doesn't usually work that way. You're, you're still, you still have a fight contract with the promotion, right? That's right. Okay, so all right, I, I thought for a second you were hinting that that was over. I was a little bit surprised to hear that. Okay, um, are you going to go back to light heavyweight? Is this heavyweight experiment over? <laughs> Man, I, I fight wherever. I, when I get a phone call and they have an idea, I say yes. Um, I would ideally like to go back to, I think, to light heavyweight. Yeah, you know, if you want to do a catch weight or have a little bit of fun with somebody. Um, but I think as far as a straight weight class goes, I think it's more appropriate. Um, you know, I, I had a hard time. I had a really hard time in both my heavyweight fights getting to some of the positions that I wanted to be in. I think physically, uh, I think physically it's just, it's a little better for me at light heavyweight. There's also say, a discipline, Luke. There's also a discipline that comes with losing some of the weight. There's, you know, if you go run two miles at night, well, if you're trying to lose some weight, it's three and a half miles. But those are benefits over time. You can get a physical benefit from the from the anguish and the discipline that's required to to lose some weight. I think that's a, I think that's appropriate for me. Are you uh, surprised at some of the? I mean, I guess you can never be surprised at the internet anymore, right? But uh, the fight fix talk. 
I heard it last night. Scott Coker had to answer a question. You know, it doesn't surprise me, but I never know how to take it, and I could be taking it wrong. I don't think anyone thought the fight was fixed. I think I got some loyal fans, and I think when I get beat, sometimes it's just easier to to make the ultimate excuse for uh, for for old Shale that um, well he must have let the guy. Well, that's how I interpreted it, but. Uh, who knows? Maybe I deserved it. I've, I've accused other guys of having fixed fights. Maybe they're letting me see how it feels. I, I don't know. You know what it is? It's the uh, falling off the back for the rolling back take, which I've tried to explain to people. It's a legitimate maneuver. Obviously, it didn't quite go your way, but they don't see it that way. And I think that kind of, I don't know, it got folks to think something oh. else. Oh, look, that's a great move. I don't even know what that's called. It's a great move. Now, you have to have the t uh, the chin tucked, but I did. I had the chin tucked, and I was going to fall off the back. I, I would have much rather pulled in the other direction or put my legs in, but I was going to fall off the back. All he had to do was lift his butt up a little bit, and I was going to be gone. So when I had the chin tucked, I thought, well, here's my opportunity. i got to hit it now. And if it would have worked, I would have had a, you know, I would have had his back and had some opportunity for a choke there. Uh, but yeah, instead I, I rolled off and, and that was that for that move. All right. And what's your next, uh, commentary assignment? When are we going to see you back? Or are you just gonna take some time off? You're a weird guy. You don't no. even like time off. I despise it. I absolutely despise time off. Uh, my least, my least favorite thing in the world is a day off. Let's see, commentating. Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll be doing Errol and the Bad Guy as soon as this Wednesday, but we don't travel again until the Madison Square Garden, November third. Uh, Derek Lewis, Daniel Cormier fight. All right. If there's any chance, and if there's not, it's fine. But if there's any chance to get you in studio here at the MMA Hour, uh, the door is open for you, sir. Well, I appreciate that. I'll be in town. I will look you up. All right. Well, Chael, I know it didn't go your way, but I really, really appreciate your time. I always like it when someone's willing to talk about both their highs and some of their lows, and you're never a guy who shies away from candor. Um, thank you for your time, and enjoy your miserable day off. I appreciate that a lot, but you got to give the other guy his credit, man. It's the hard part about the sport, and I don't follow a lot of rules on sportsmanship, but if, if you want to enjoy the highs, you got to make sure you tip your hat when it doesn't go your way. I really believe that. All right. Well, thank you so much, Chael. We appreciate it. Kaboom. There he goes. All right. Yeah, I was hesitant about having him on the show because, I don't know, you know, like, do you want to harass a guy who just lost? But then, like, no one's better about talking about their losses than Chael. So it was like, well, I kind of do want to have him on. All right. Um, we have a short time with our next guest. We didn't, uh, we weren't sure if we were going to have him or not. It's a bit of a surprise. No time to waste. Let us uh, go now to, I believe he's on the phone, right, Danny? Because I can't imagine he's on Skype, right? Yeah, he's on the phone. Uh, yes, he is known as the Diamond. He was supposed to be fighting on that November 3rd card, and just some things uh, just kind of unraveled. Let's talk to him next. Uh, Dustin Poirier is here. Hi, Dustin. How are you? Doing all right, man. What's going on? Oh, uh, just uh, got, glad to catch up with you. Well, first of all, I'm sorry to hear about everything uh, falling apart. So let me ask about your health first and foremost. Um, can you tell us what the injury is and how it happened and, and what the diagnosis is going forward? Uh, yeah, it, it's an, uh, I got a lot of stuff going on with my hip. Um, really uncomfortable. My range of motion is messed up. So, um, you know, we've got one doctor's opinion. Next week I'm flying out to L.A., to get another scan and, a, and another opinion. And if uh, the second doctor agrees with the first, I think it'll be a pretty quick return. We're just going to do some uh, stem cell stuff, and I think I'll be moving around real quick. So I don't think I'll be out long at all. 
Okay, well, that would be great news. Now, is this a chronic injury? Is this something like freak accident in the gym? This is uh, something I've been dealing with the last few camps, and uh, it just progressively got worse. And then I did something to it this camp to where, you know, like I can still move around on it. I can still train. But if but if I say I do a sprint the next two days, I, I won't be able to, you know, my range of motion is going to be horrible. I'm going to be in a lot of pain. It's just like it's just got too too bad to keep pushing at this point w- with it. Interesting. Yeah, because you're a guy. I was looking at the record. This is the first time in over 30 fights you've ever pulled out due to injury. So I'm guessing that relative to all the aches and pains and bumps and bruises and everything else, this must have been rather significant. Yeah, whenever, you know, like, of course, every fighter, whether they've admitted or not, they have aches and pains and they're going to fights hurt. You know, if you're training for for a fight, you're going to be pretty much, you know, there's going to be days where you're hurting. And uh, this actually, you know, normal pain is no problem. You know, that just comes with the job. But this actually got to a point where it was stopping me from doing the kind of training sessions I needed to be doing. And uh, like I said, range of motion and internal rotation, a lot of stuff was just really, really bothering me. And uh, it's time to, to get something done about it. All right. Now you said a, a, a short time. So let me guess something like what, six weeks, two months, something like that. You know, I don't want to speak too soon until we get the second opinion, okay. but the first doctor, uh, and also the UFC's doctor was saying if, if we do go that route with stem cell or PRP, that, uh, it's going to be really, really quick. Like a few days I'll be resting to let the injection get into where it needs to be and get settled and then i'll be moving around within a few days so uh, you know it just depends what the second doctor says but i think you know i'm trying to stay optimistic i think i'll be moving around really really quick yeah so it sounds like and again knock on wood best case scenario you could be fighting first quarter 2019 oh that yeah that's worse worst case oh okay wow you could fight in 2018 I mean, it, we'll see what happens, but if the doctor agrees that a stem cell injection or alleviate what's going on with the range of motion and stuff, and uh, my body takes it well, uh, I mean, I don't see why not. Wow. But like okay. I said, man, I'm just trying to be optimistic one day at a time. All right, so let me ask you about the fight buildup itself. It sounds like for you and for Nate, maybe for different reasons, this whole thing was exhausting. Like, y'all were out there campaigning for 165, Dana saying no, well, then what about making it just the main event or something and no, like how many times did, did this fight change or try to get changed behind the scenes? I mean, dude, I don't even, we don't have enough time to talk about how many times it got changed and the fight was on, it was off, you know, it it was just crazy. It was a lot of crazy stuff going on. All right. Can you give us just a hint of like maybe a couple of things that had happened that threw you off the path or were just difficult to deal with? They wanted to switch it to to five rounds. Uh, man, it's just so much stuff, dude. I, I don't even. Nate was being hard to deal with, I believe. What was what was he objecting to? What were you hearing? Uh, every weight class that they, I mean, they offered it at fifty five. He wanted one sixty. I agreed to that, and he kind of negotiated himself out of the main event spot. They offered us the main event. I accepted. Nate over negotiated. We lost the main event. It was just back to back days after day of him trying to have his way, honestly. So, all right. So what you're saying is they offered you guys the main event five round, but at 155, and he said no. Yeah. 
And then they did it at 160 and he said no? No, no, no. Then I then he he said he'll do it at 165 or 160. I said okay. Oh. They they didn't want it. UFC wanted no part of any other catchweight or anything like that. Oh, I see. I see. Okay, okay. And you yeah, would have been they, happy they with were, a one. They were totally yeah, you were, against it. You would have been happy fighting on a main event with no belt, right? Of course, a, a pay per view main event. I mean, all eyes on us. It, it's a big deal. Crazy. Um, so do you think? You, would you fight Nate again if they brought it up and said, okay, you're, you're the stem cell went great, you're looking great, he's ready, you're ready, let's try it again. Are you interested or no? Dude, I, I, I would, but like I said, man, so much stuff went on behind the scenes. This guy, you know, I, even if everything went smooth, I'm not even sure if he'd even, you know, if this fight would have went would have went through with this guy. Uh, but if the UFC wants it, I'm down. If they can make him... If they can make it happen, I'm down. Right, I see. But in other words, you're looking for a, what do you want to call it? A, um, someone who's more committed to the process? Right, yeah, I, I, would, I would rather that, you know. <laughs> Who wouldn't, right, because, in your position? You know, you, you know, a lot of these fans are like blowing me up on social media and stuff, like saying you, you blew an opportunity or your big payday and stuff like that. that they don't understand how contracts work. Like, I'm... I'm getting paid. I don't get pay-per-view points to fight Nate Diaz. I don't know what everybody thinks is going on here, but uh, I took this fight not because it's a big money fight, because it was a op- big opportunity that turned into a huge headache with all the stuff that he was playing. Man, so like, do you have your eye on the winner of any other fight? Like, for example, you got Kevin Lee, Ally Quinta. Does the winner of that interest yeah. you? I, uh, I have my eyes on everybody, man, honestly. But uh, just like... I said after my last fight, uh, I won. I won big fights. You know, I, my goal is to be the world champion. So whatever fight makes sense, I felt like this Nate fight did make sense. Um, you know, if the UFC can get him to to play ball, maybe it comes back together. Maybe we do it. If not, we see what what shakes out, man, and and what's next. But I need big fights. Yeah, yeah, no, I can certainly understand that. Who wouldn't want a big fight against one of these guys? Uh, okay, what about the 165 division? Now, were you advocating for that because you believe that that's something the UFC should do or just, hey, I'm game for whatever? Uh, I think they should do. I think that's something they should do. You know, making 155 is not easy to me anymore. This is is a tough cut, but, uh, you know, when, honestly, whenever my hip's feeling a lot better and I can do a lot of road work, and do the sprints and do the amount of stuff that I I need to do to get my weight down, it'll be a lot smoother. But that was kind of some of the reason why I was pushing for it too. I was like, well, if my hips bother me like this, uh, 165 is a little bit less weight to cut. It'll be smoother process for me. So if the, if the UFC opened a 165 division tomorrow, right. And let's say your hip is feeling great. You're feeling great. Do you want to do the road work and stick at 155? Cause you put in so much work there or would you jump up to 165 and, and then try your opportunities there? No, I would say 55, I believe. Okay. All right. For now, anyway. Yeah, right? I'm, I'm a 55 Yeah. Uh, okay. By the way, did you and Nate ever talk at any point? Never. Never. Do you ever talk to an opponent behind the scenes, or is that unheard of for you? Um, you know, there's been times in, at events where uh, me and a guy have mutual respect for each other, and we'll talk a little bit before, the, you know, like maybe at the day of weigh-ins where we're around each other a lot. like. Uh, see you out there tomorrow let's handle business or let's put on a show simple stuff like that but i've never hung out and and with an opponent or anything no but what i mean is there was one day where you guys were both tweeting like right next to each other 
about 165. It almost seemed like you guys had talked and planned it. But you're, what you're telling me is that's not true. No, not at all. No. All right. All right, so you fly out to L.A. You said when? So to, I'm still in Coconut Creek right now. I'm uh, getting everything tightened up over here. This is where I do my training camps. I'm flying back to Louisiana tomorrow morning, and then Wednesday afternoon I'm flying to L.A. And so you should know by what, Wednesday, Thursday, whether this is a thing you can do? Well, I'll, I'll know by Thursday afternoon, Thursday night, exactly what the next step is, and I'll have a timetable uh, of when I'll be able to get back to 100% training. Right. Okay. All right, man. Well, look, I won't keep you any longer. We got you on short notice. I really appreciate you making time for us. And uh, obviously, we hope that the doctor has some good news. It would be great to see you back. And sorry you couldn't be here for uh, UFC 230, but I'm sure the fans are eagerly anticipating your return. Thank you, man. All right. There he goes. The diamond. Got him on short notice. Really appreciate him making time for us. All right. With that out of the way, let us do this. It is time, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, yes, it is for the Monday Morning Analyst. Donkeys, let me get around, huh? Naturally, no one put this up high enough because y'all are all members of the Lollipop Guild. Whereas your boy, there we go. Got to get this up to uh, man's height. All right. Time for the Monday Morning Analyst right here on the MMA Hour. So here's what I'm not going to do. I can't show you footage footage style for anything because then we get sued and our video gets taken down but i've got some clips i've got um three fights we're going to show but here's what we're going to do i'm going to go through a couple of the clips from fedor versus sonnen including that back take we're going to go through it but here's what i'm also going to do no one is talking about this and i really don't know why other than a yes it happened on um you know pfl 9 was a great show on saturday but it got a little bit drowned out with all the fedor talk did y'all see what Vinny Magalhaes did over the weekend? Oh, my God. He had an incredible Kimura and a ridiculous sweep, which we're going to go over. But he also had a Kimura from Triangle that was sublime. Truly, truly sublime. I mean, it's about as perfect a submission as you're maybe ever going to see from guard. Absolutely artwork. We're going to go through that as well. First, of course, we have to go through some of the stuff here. I had forgotten with this Fedor and Sonnen bout. I had forgotten that Sonnen was a southpaw. I actually went back and watched some of his other fights um, to verify that. Yes, in fact, he is a southpaw. Now, I've got just a few clips of this. We're going to go through them. I'm not sure which one this is. Oh, I think this is the, I'm going frame by frame here, the zone. Uh, this is the punch he lands. You're going to see Sonnen come in. By the way, I've been very grappling heavy for the last few weeks. It's only because that's what most of the action's been. But we will get to some of the striking stuff as the weeks develop. But what you're going to see here is you're going to see Fedor land the punch. Two things you're going to notice. Number one, how accurate it is. And number two, how powerful it is. I want you to notice something else that Fedor does that you can go back to watch him in pride and he didn't do a lot of. I'll show you that right now. First of all, look at Fedor. Always on the balls of his feet. See that? Like a tennis player. Ever seen a tennis player waiting for a serve? They're always on the balls of their feet because that's what they or a, or a goalkeeper in soccer because they're waiting to make a leap or a move, right? He's always on the balls of his feet, kind of got that upright posture, but he's got his weight lowered. That's going to allow him to sit down on his punches, really put maximum power into him. Here's what I want you to see. He doesn't really set it up. He doesn't really, I don't want to bag on son. I'm just saying, like the tape shows what the tape shows. He doesn't really set it up. And you can see, by the way, whenever you do a double, you want to be able, as a rule of thumb, to reach out and touch them. This is where they need to be for a double. 
So he's already kind of far away. Then he doesn't really set it up, and he comes in. Fedor measures with the left. Watch this. He gets out of the way and comes in under the right. What do you notice about this punch that's a little bit different than the Fedor from Pride? Fedor from Pride was a little linear this way, and he would throw these like looping Russian hooks. The Russian boxers are kind of known for this a little bit, or at least they used to be. Uh, and a lot of the Sambo fighters do this too. They have these really windy hooks, which is fine if you're quick enough, and he was. Here, he's throwing a punch. He did the same thing to Mir. He's actually getting off the center line. That is not something he used to do very well, and now he's incorporated it. You were hearing Chael Sonnen talk about some of these developments and improvements to his game. Here's one right here. And by the way, he punches in combination. Sonnen gets drilled with that right, and then look, Fedor comes back and drills him with the left. Right? Nice shot, right? So he gets off with the right. He gets underneath the punch. His hips are already loaded this direction. So when he comes around and pivots and throws with this one, he cracks him on the jaw. Nice, nice shot, right? So, so there's that. All right, let's jump around and move forward, shall we? To the next one. All right, here's the next one. Where are we going with this one? Let's see. I, oh, this is one of the failed takedowns, right? So we're going frame by frame here, DAZN, because that's what we do. Bouncing in and out. Fedor throws a punch. All right, and then Sonnen leans a little bit out of the way. That's nice. Let's see. He throws his own right, and he tries to clinch. Let's see what happens. All right, so this clinch, um, when your arm is like this high, it's not necessarily the end of the world, but just think about where you have the most balance. It's when your shoulders are square. So he tries to remove it. Fedor tries to spin. This is amazing. Hold on, watch this. So he's... Chael is going to take him to the weak side. The weak side is going to be here, right? He's going to step, and then eventually, if he finishes the takedown appropriately, would switch his hips. I want you to watch something. Fedor is famous for this. He's done this in a million bouts in pride. Fedor has incredible balance. I believe he did this in the uh, Noya Ogawa fight, if I'm not mistaken. He has ridiculous one-legged ability to redirect a, 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 a takedown that's not completed with appropriate authority. And he can reverse it. Let's see where he goes. So he put he plants the leg here, right? And now what is this? It's almost like a hara. Well, it's almost like an uchimata. A harai goshi would be if the out the if one of his if the non-planted leg was on the outside of the hip. Harai goshi is major outside reap. Uchimata is between the legs. It's really neither of those because the leg is on the other side. I don't know what the name of this is in judo, but here's the point. What is he doing, right? He is balancing on this leg, and he's going to lean forward to bring Sonnen's weight up and forward. Imagine um, going over a diving board. If I lean and lean and lean, and I keep doing that, eventually I'm just going to fall over into the water, right? There's going to be a point where you tip over. That's what he's doing here. He's grabbing him almost by the head. Sonnen has attached himself to him. He's going to plant his weight. He's going to lean forward to bring the weight of Sonnen up. Once he's up, now he's light. Then you can redirect it. So it's a question of let me make him light and then turn him. So now he's light, and now you can almost just, you see how he throws the leg up? This forces the hips over of Chael Sonnen and then brings Fedor on top. And look at Fedor land on his shoulder and roll to keep his hips, watch this. This is the part I love the most. Basically, on top, and he hooks that leg, by the way, the far leg. Let me go back a little bit. He hooks the leg. When does he hook it? 
He hooks it on the roll through there, right there. He brings it through. And that's to keep his hips on top and facing the mat. So the whole time he goes through this, one more time here. You can see the leg, it doesn't go in between. This leg doesn't go in between or out in front. And yet he's still able quickly because Sonna being attached and the takedown was loose. He's able to throw this in the air, raise the base of Sonnen up in the air, and then redirect him mid-throw to come out and roll on his shoulders on top. And then he hooks the leg to prevent Sonnen from coming up. Remember, whenever you have a takedown, to the extent possible, you want your hips facing the mat, right? Because think about it. If my hips are facing the mat, I'm landing on all fours. Or if we're ground pound, that enables me to open up. It's when your hips are facing the sky, it's a problem. Now here, of course, they're facing over here, but it allows him to then turn and look whose hips are facing the mat. Right? Nice little, nice little adjustment there. Uh, okay, here is the part where everyone's like, this was fixed. Bellator's out here fixing fights. No, they're not. It's just a poorly executed, um, so I, I don't know what they call it either. Um, there's lots of guys who are good at this. Uh, my, Danny Segura was telling me that Juicy Formiga did it in one of his fights. I don't really remember that. I'm sure it's true. I'm just saying I don't really remember it. Um, but in sports jiu-jitsu, you see it all the time. There's a lot of different ways to set it up. I've seen guys do it. Uh, Douglas Lima was talking about it, having double unders from the back. That's not the way I was ever taught it. Remember, what was it last week, two weeks ago, I talked about the Marcelo Garcia over-under. The hand that comes over the top is stabbing. The one that comes underneath secures the stab. I know that is a fairly um, gruesome mnemonic device to remember how this goes, but that's the way it works. Arm over the shoulder, stabs the heart, underneath the one, secures the stab. That's the way to do it. And what you're looking for is you want to have the person, when you roll through, you have to, I'm telling you, hard. You have to attach them to you. Think about, it was from the back, it was a little bit different, but think about Luke Skywalker and Yoda and the Dagobah system. And Luke Skywalker's running around and he's flipping over shit, whatever. And Yoda was with him the whole time. It's because they were attached. They were together. If that grip is not tight enough, it will not work. It has to be super, super, super tight. So when you flip over with no hooks, they don't have a choice to go with you because they're locked, right? But here was the other key component. Whenever you do a throw, let me fast forward a little bit so we can get to it. Okay. Hold on, I missed it. Okay. Whenever you do something like this, to me, his base is a little too high in the air. Yeah, all right. His base is a little high. I'm going to go closer to 10 because I just need more time. Um, his head is too far forward. What you're looking for is you want to stuff the back of their head underneath them. If I take someone on all fours and I stuff their head underneath them, the body will roll. That's how you do it. Think about the arm bars. I've talked about this a million times. You ever seen people do arm bars and they'll do it where they take their whole body and they'll come off the back like this and they'll extend their whole body? First of all, they're not doing it right because they're extending their legs. You really don't really, you want to extend your hips but not your legs, two different things. That's the first problem. The other problem is they never put the shin behind the head. Ronda Rousey was super good at that. She put the shin behind the head so when she rolled through, the opponent would come out on top. That's how you do it. Go back and look at a three-quarter stack. What is a three-quarter stack? It is driving the head and then a hand underneath the armpit, and you're turning them. It's the same motion for all these different ones, for the back take, for the three-quarter stack, and for the jujikatami. you got to stuff the head inside, 
So the body comes over. The way it was taught to me was you drive a shoulder into the back of their head and your head posts on the outside. You roll over to that same side. Attach, you attach them with the over-under. You bring them to you and you go through. Here, I don't see any evidence of that. Look at how high his base is. Look at already the separation. Now, some of that is probably okay, but look, Fedor's head never gets stuffed. And Chael goes, does a headstand. There's no, there's no attachment here. There's no stuffing of the head from what I can tell. And so he just comes. Look, he's attached, but not very strongly. And Fedor just sits up. Look at that. He didn't really stuff the head. And by the way, whenever you do something like this, Let's see one more time. I don't mind that he went to his head first, but what shoulder is stuffing the head of Fedor here? It's not the left one. It's not the right one. You have to drive that shoulder in, and then the head goes diagonal to the mat. Now, there's other ways to do it. Maybe Douglas Lehman knows a better way. I don't know, but that's the way I've always been showed it, is that the shoulder does the work, and then the head posts on the mat, so that by the time you roll, it's already tucked. Which shoulder is pushing the head? I mean, yes, his chest is pushing the head down, but that's not enough. You got to drive that thing. You got to pull there. You have to push on one end of the spine so that the whole body comes over. There's none of that here. So folks are like, it's fixed. It's not fixed. It's just a badly executed technique. And uh, there's a takedown here. Oh, let's go to this mount real quick. Watch this mount, and then we'll go to the Vinnie Magalay stuff because we got to move on. Let me see how he takes it here. All right, all right. So he's in half guard. He's trying to secure the head. See that? How do you take mount? Go back and watch how Gordon Ryan takes mount on everyone. He does it different ways each time, but there's one consistency each time. It's that he has shoulder pressure and is controlling the head and neck to prevent the hips from moving. If the if the head and neck are tightly controlled, the hips can't really move all that well. That's what this has to be in place before you go. This is loose. There's not really a whole lot here. You can see it's up around almost like the, the crown of the head. That's not what you need. You need it tucked under, right? So let's see. Let's see him try to take him out here. All right. He's going to punch. Hold on. Just fast forward this. Boo shit. All right. Here we go. Now look at this. He's got some shoulder pressure here, but Fedor's looking at the ceiling. He needs to have this pushed over you have you have to hurt him you have to hurt your opponent and your and your uki if it's judo uh i think it's the uki you have to make them look away you have to, again remember the shoulder with the back of the head to make him turn you gotta you gotta drive that thing in there so he's not really doing a whole lot of that he's gonna push on the on the uh arm here to free his head god come on chill take this goddamn out here we go all right let's see now look as he goes to take mount, you can fake the Kimura if you want. Yes, that's a way to do it. He goes to take mount. Fedor's already bucking his hips. Look at this. Once you let go of the head, what happens to Fedor's hips? They come right up. What's controlling him? Nothing. He comes right up. Chael posts his hand to stop the push. He tries to take it. Once you take mount, the instant you take it, you're the most vulnerable to be turned because you haven't settled into the position. And sure enough, that's when he does it. Look at the hips of Fedor. He always has done this. He's had really good, active, mobile, powerful hips. And he bri look at that nice bridge. He doesn't bridge just to a side. He bridges diagonally over the shoulder. Chael tries to balance here, 
but he can't. He wraps the arm, turns his hips over. Look at him posting on the toes, and he just rolls through. Look at that. Just rolls through. Boom. The pressure was too much. If the pressure underneath is so strong that it beats a hand that's posted, that's a very, 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 very powerful hip underneath. He's just so quick and dynamic. So he, so what's the question there? One, the head and the neck weren't really controlled. And two, the timing on Fedor. As soon as the as soon as Chael got to it, when the position hadn't settled, he drives. Really good timing. All right. In the interest of time, I'm going to move along. Because as good as this all was, yo, sorry. Shouts to Vinny Magalesh. The winner, the coolest thing that happened all weekend is from him. Let's jump to that now. All right. So here he is. Oh, by the way, real quickly, this is just a screenshot. I'm not going to show you anything. From, this is from Quintet. This is what a standard triangle looks like, right? So here's what I want you to pay attention to. It's the left arm of Josh Barnett, and so it's the right side of the body. In other words, the arm that's being attacked and the locking of the triangle are on the same side. This Gordon Ryan's right the left arm of Josh Barnett. But the left arm is across the body. That's typically how you get it. But what happens if they tuck the arm underneath the body so you can't get it across? Because a triangle choke works by one of the person's legs cutting off this carotid artery, and then this arm coming across, you can hear my voice change, and cutting off the other one. But what if I put it under, you can't do it? Well, that's when Vinnie Magalay shows you what time it is. Look at this, this was unbelievable. All right, he pulls guard here. Right, which I just love that he does in MMA now. He pulls guard, and I want you to notice something about this triangle. And this guy comes down, Cleveland. I do not know who this gentleman is. You'll have to forgive me. All right, look at this. What do you notice right away about this triangle once he locks it up? And by the way, he's grabbing his own shin. He's like, does Vinny does everything correctly instinctually? What do you notice about this triangle? Real quickly, and he's going to readjust it. Boom. What do you notice here? The lock is not on the same side as the arm. They're on opposite sides. Oh, isn't that clever, right? You don't see that too often. He jumped guard and right away knew that this guy was going to hide the arm. That's what everyone does in MMA. So he put the triangle lock on the other side. Why is that important? Because if you want to do a Kimura from triangle and the lock is on the same side as the arm, there's really you can do it, but there's really no room. Very, very hard. You want to lock the other side. He switched to the other side and now does everything perfectly. But you can't square up on them. You got to get turned at an angle, right? If you're just in front of them, even if you put the lock on the other side, you don't have enough space to grab the arm. So what is Vinny going to do? He's going to turn at an angle. Watch. And this is the best part about it. Now, this guy tries to put the arm behind him. Not only does Vinny, you'll see him, he'll turn more in just a second. Here's the other part about it. If I just, even if I turn and I just grab the arm, I might get a Kimura, but I got to break your hands apart from your body. Look at what he does. He plants his elbow on the ground, Vinny, his own elbow, grabs this other guy's wrist. Why is that important? Because no matter how hard you push and try to keep your hands together, you can't break this frame. The frame is more powerful than any kind of grip you can have or any kind of muscle you can have. So he's going to turn while, look at that, pulling the arm out by framing on the ground. Dude, this is ridiculously good. This is like ridiculously good, right? Now watch. 
He still doesn't quite have enough space. This guy's going to bring his leg up to block it. Now, Vinny has one task here. He can get the arm through, but he's got to get it away from this guy's body. And it's going to take him a second to do it. He actually does the right thing. You actually would want to go low because the more you stand up, the more space you create. So this guy actually does the right thing in sitting for a bit, but the end is almost near. Now watch Vinny. Look at him up on his shoulder so he could corkscrew inside so when he comes back the other way, he's got enough attachment to it and he can give it enough torque, right? Watch this. This is ridiculous. Ready? He's going to pull back. So he sits his whole body weight forward, and now he's going to use that to lean back. That's going to bring this gentleman's weight forward, and now, watch this. He's just going to, he's going to attach the arm to his body and then bring his body back. If I try to wrestle your arm with my arm, I may or may not be successful, but if I attach your arm to my body and I pull, my body will beat your arm 10 times out of 10, which is exactly what you see here. Look at that. He uses his own body weight going back to pull it away from the body and look at this torque checkmate checkmate dude that is nasty super nasty dude no, i couldn't believe i saw this on twitter on friday night or whatever it was saturday night and no one was talking about this i was like did y'all not see the shit he did and here's the best part that's not even the only thing he did I, with one minute we have left well i'll jump to the end here Sorry, I took it from BJJ Scout because I couldn't find it anywhere else. It was on my Insta on his Instagram. Sorry, BJ. Hey, BJJ Scout, I stole your stolen footage. It's okay. All right. Uh, hold on. Watch this. So he tries to go. He pulls guard and he tries to spin for an armbar and it doesn't work. So he's like, all right, I'm going to switch to an omoplata. So he switches to the omoplata. He takes a couple punches in the process. All right. And so there's his omoplata. I want to show you this. Here is what Vinny is amazing at. Vinny knows all the common counters to your attacks. So what he does is he puts you in a position where you're going to go to your common defense. And when you go to your common defense, then he overwhelms you, right? That's what he does. So here, if you're trying to, if you're this guy and you want out of this omoplata, how do you relieve the pressure on your arm? I mean, you could stand up and shake him off, or you can come around this way, right? You can come around this way. So that's what this guy tries to do. All right, here he is. Vinny anticipates this. Watch how he does this. Ready? Watch. He is waiting for this guy, and I'm going to show you what he's about to do. He's expecting this guy to keep going. Hang on. Hang on. Here we go. All right. Watch this. This guy thinks that if I come around to this side, I'm good. But you're all, you can run against Vinny Magalhaes. You will only die tired. Watch. He waits, he puts a hand here, look at this, he's going to wait, he's blocking this, and he's going to push this, and he's going to turn him like this while he holds the bottom leg as he sits up, and now he's going to grab it and sit back, and he swept him just like that. Look at that, well it's not quite a sweep because a sweep's from a guard so it's a reversal, but um, look at one more time. He just waits for it. He waits for the guy to come across. If you're going to do one of these things on him, you got to do it fast. If you do it slow, look at that. Stops it, turns him, underhooks the bottom leg, sits up, and now turns into him. And by the way, look at this Kimura. Look at this. We saw the other Kimura. Look at this one. 
Watch this. Sits his weight back, attaches it to him. Look at it, watch, watch him drop his weight. Look at it, look at the left shoulder. Watch what he does with the left shoulder. Drops. Look at that. Are you shitting me? Look at that, dude. Again, if it's just his arm versus his arm, who knows? If it's his body weight versus your arm, it's a wrap for you, son. Ridiculous. I couldn't believe people weren't talking about Vinny Magalish. That guy's a bad motherfucker, man. That's the Monday morning analyst. All right. We're back. We're back. All right. You know what is the thing in the way, Joe? If you got to get on screen, you can get on screen, Joe. People want to see you anyway. All right. There's your Monday morning analyst. It went a little long. I'm trying to get these things narrower. Let's go to my friend in the back, the one and only Danny Segura. Hi, Danny. How are you? Yo, what's good? Let's see your beautiful face on screen here if we can. There we Wait, hold on. Stand by. All right. By the way, what did you think of old Vinny? Man, there's nothing There's nothing better than watching an expert work his craft. Dude, it's MMA. ridiculous. Well, there's striking or jiu-jitsu. Is just, oof, Joe, if you want to get on camera, it's fine, dude. Don't worry about it. And, and so much detail goes yeah. behind it. It's just, And he's making this in, in real time, you know, in just seconds. Hey, everybody, hey, say hi to Joe. Wave to the camera, Joe. Hey! Up, Joe? <laughs> <laughs> I know. We're trying, trying to figure all this out. You can just take the yeah. whole thing, man. We'll, we'll, be, we'll get on with this. All right, um, here we go. Thank you, Joe. Cool. I appreciate so, it. So we're, we're a little bit short on time. What we want to do, let, let's knock out uh, Irando tweets real quick because I don't want to leave anything out. No, no. Let's do calls, and I promise I'll do a round of tweets. I promise. Okay. Let's just fire into these calls, please. All right. Let's do it. Um, so we got, again, the calls keep getting better and better. Um, let's talk about the weekend, Bellator. All right. Let's do it. Yep. This is uh, an opinion that I didn't agree with, but, you know, we, we share all kinds of, opin- all right. of opinions. Yeah, 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 sure. MMAR, so. Hi, this is Tommy calling from Madison, Wisconsin. My question is, talking about the Chael and Fyodor fight, it did not seem like one of the sloppiest and ugliest fights you guys have ever seen. Chael's takedown attempts looked like they were happening in super slow motion. So my question is, does Fyodor stand a chance against a much more agile Ryan Bader in the Grand Prix final? Thanks. So two things I want to address here. Did Do, do you agree with this guy's um, analysis of the fight? Was it a sl- like a sloppy, slow fight? I thought it was a pretty competitive and both guys looked pretty crisp. Here's what I thought. I think the first punch uh, r- rattled yeah. Chael a little bit. Um, it's always bad body language if you see a grappler shoot and then they don't get it and then they immediately keep flopping to their back. Um, that's one of those telltale signs, like when a striker stops throwing or when a grappler does that, that it's always a bad sign. So, like, was it the prettiest technical fight? No. But I thought the one against Tito was, or, you know, there's many I would pick that were worse. In fact, as, as I mentioned before, I just showed you some of the great things Fedor did. Yeah, did Chael make some mistakes? He did. But there were a lot of positives to take from that as well. Yeah, and, and he got that low single. You know, he he looked good. I, I thought Chael, even in defeat, looked, looked better than, than his previous performances. Um, and, man, Fedor looked just, you know, rejuvenated. It was incredible. So the second part of this question was, what are his chances against uh, Bader? Fedor is obviously. Right. What do you think? Um, I keep counting Fedor out. And he keeps proving me wrong. So I'll say this. It seems like Bader deserves to be the favorite. I think he's going to win. But Fedor, man, he, uh, as I showed here just recently, he's got a few you know, major adjustments. I don't know. But he's got some nice tweaks. And they're making a big difference. I think it's actually pretty competitive. I think so, too. And at the open workouts, man, he looked good. Like, he looked like Fast. he was packing power. Yeah, yeah man, he looks good. Um, I think it's going to be a lot more competitive than what people make it out to be. Uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. Also, like, 
Ryan Bader has had issues with guys that that have, you know, really heavy striking, right? Really good striking. Uh, Anthony Johnson is a good example. So we'll see how much he buys into, you know, the the Fedor uh, aura, the Fedor, you know, legend. So um, I think that's going to be key mentally for, for Ryan Bader. All right. All right. Now let's talk about rivalries. Yep. Hey, what's up, Luke? It's Michael from New York. Uh, I have a question. What do you think is a rivalry that has more bad blood? Uh, Conor McGregor? Versus Khabib Nurmagomedov or Daniel Cormier versus John Jones. All right, let me know. Thanks, man. For the reasons that what Daniel Cormier just said on the show, I'm going to say Daniel Cormier, John Jones, because he's right. Connor was just saying stuff to sell. Yo, these two guys hate each other, and they mean every word they say. So because it's two-way traffic, I'm going to go with DC Jones. Do you agree? I would, I would somewhat agree. I mean, there was no, hey, you know, DC didn't go, hey, this is just business, Jones, or, or vice versa. Yeah, you know, yeah, that yeah. never that never went down. But I think there's so much bad blood on the other side with uh, Habib uh, is, that is, I think is, it evens out. I think, yeah. I think it's a draw, man. I think it's so a like, draw. In other words, is Habib's bad blood yes. greater than or equal to Combined. Jones plus DC? Yeah, yeah, you might be right, actually. I think so. I mean, Habib, this is, this is not a game. Like, I, I feel like, I feel like, Habib is willing to take th- take things maybe farther than than Jones or DC would. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, we just saw that crazy. Just the only so. thing for me is that when two guys are so poisonous, it's like a bad marriage. Yeah. You know, it's like ugh, it's so ugly. Yeah. Versus uh, just one guy who's consumed with rage. Plus, they're they're also the the nature of the fights. The both fights were really competitive. You know, the the DC and and Jones. Uh, you know, obviously with the McGregor and Habib, it's a bit of a wash. So the bad blood kind of drags out longer. You know. Yeah. With the result. All right, now let's talk about uh, rematches. Good morning, Mr. Luke Thomas. This is Charles Jalen calling out of Atlanta, Georgia. My question is regarding this Conor and Khabib rematch. If the UFC books this rematch immediately and Conor loses the exact same way, would this kill his aura, so to speak? Would they be making a mistake booking Conor against, on paper, and literally the worst matchup he could ever have? Right. If he loses again, would that pretty much kill their cash cow? Uh, what are your thoughts on that, man? Thanks for taking my call. Uh, shouts to ATL Georgia. What can we do for you? Um, by the way, I'm from Marietta High School, so shouts to ATL. Uh, okay, here's what I would say. Um, passions for fighters die hard. It takes a long time for people who love a fighter to stop loving him. But I So, so would he, if he lost again, would Connor stop being a star or something? No. However, would it affect badly his image? I would argue yes. This is not the fight for him to have right now. He needs to go fight somebody else. I think it's a, not an easier fight per se, although maybe that's a way to look at it, but someone who's got a skill set more in keeping with his own. And I think if you just put this guy out there, and let's say he loses the exact same way, Danny, to say that wouldn't affect his market power is not true. It wouldn't turn him into a non-star, but it would definitely knock him down a peg or two or three. I, I agree with your analysis there. The only key to that right there is that you know that if you book the rematch, you know, a few months from now, that thing's going to kill on pay-per-view, right? Yes. If you put him up against Nate Diaz and he wins, I think the rematch will even be bigger just because he's got, you know, some wind uh, behind him. But also the Nate Diaz fight is not a given. Like Nate Diaz is a tough dude. He could very well win it as well. True. So it's a gamble. Uh, what do you think business-wise would be would be most, like, I, I guess, the safer bet? You know, go straight forward to the rematch or have him fight someone else? Have him fight somewhere else. Someone else. Sorry. Yeah. It's a very bad idea. If Khabib goes in there, and by the way, everyone's like, Connor can get better in the rematch. Right, so can Khabib. 
Yeah. Not a good idea. Let's talk about Tony Ferguson. Okay. Interesting character. Speaking of Tony. Uh, hey, Luke, this is Drew from an impoverished shithole called Lewis in Maine. Listen, the Tony <laughs> Ferguson fight the other week got me thinking about how Tony, as good of a fighter as he is, gets hit a lot. Seems to be a staple of a Tony Ferguson fight where he gets put in serious danger and finds a way out of it. A fighter like that can only lean on that fact and their chin for so long. So how much longer do you think it will be until we start seeing the decline of Tony Ferguson? And what fighter on the UFC roster could really exploit the shortcoming of his? Thanks. So you know what's funny? On my radio show on Friday, I had Kevin Lee on. And Kevin Lee said the exact same thing. In fact, Kevin Lee thinks that he is not quite shopworn, that being Tony, yeah. but that Tony is taking a lot of damage and people aren't acknowledging that fact. Now, he said that Tony looked slow and lethargic and didn't have his legs under him. I don't agree with that at all. Mm-hmm. But I do think that Kevin's got a bit of a point, Danny, that Tony does take a fair bit of damage. Um, and he's, think, 35 years old. So I would say... You know, he has obviously kept himself in impeccable condition, the knee injury notwithstanding. Um, I don't know who the right guy is to exploit it, but I do wonder if he gets into some kind of war, if that might put him over the edge. Because he's had enough damage where he hasn't crossed that line, but he might be close. Uh, I don't agree. I mean, the dude snapped his leg and he came back, what, six months later, five months later? Five months later. And fought. So he went through a training camp. I mean, Dominic Cruz was out for years for similar injuries. You know, Not at 35. Uh, so, you know, I, I think Tony Ferguson is, is somewhat somebody else. You know, that, that That's guy. True. That's true. And also, I just want to add to this. He said it. He, he hasn't sparred in years. That's so smart of him. Yep. And uh, how much damage do you take from sparring? Tons. And, and people don't realize that. Yep. And I, I think I think most of probably the top lightweights spar. Um, just uh, an assumption. You know, just the fact that he's not sparring as well, I, I I like that aspect as well. And, you know, he takes damage well. I mean, he's not getting hit by scrubs. You know, he's not getting dropped by small shots. You know, he's taking shots by by very game fighters, you know? Fair enough. So I, I think he's fine. I mean, obviously, there is some damage done. Obviously, you you, you know, you, you got to keep that in, into a factor, but I don't think enough to a point where we might see him, you know, in a downhill somewhat sooner or anything like that. All right. Um, so now that's a good argument you make. Though. Yeah. Of course. Let's <laughs> uh, so talk about Lewis in D.C. We just had D.C. on the show. Right. Um, it seems, you know, a lot of people are just... By the way, can I just say it's yeah, great to have a show where a guest doesn't duff? Yeah, right. It's nice. We had... And we actually had an extra guest. Yeah, we had an extra one. Can, to you, make up can for, you believe for, it? it was, I mean, it hasn't happened in weeks. Yeah, I mean, you know, booking a live show is, is difficult. It's not easy, man. You know, it's not easy. Right, go ahead. All right, let's talk about Lewis, D.C. Right. Hey, Luke. Hey, Danny. This is David from the great, great country of Austria. I'm a huge fan. Keep up the good work. And here's my question. Um, Everybody is talking about Daniel Cormier. What's next after his fight against Derek Lewis? And I want to know, it sounds like nobody is really giving Derek Lewis a chance in this fight. What is... So I'm going I'm to cut it right there, but it is a fair point that he brings up. Everyone's talking about, okay, what's next You know, what's next for DC, uh, Jones, or is the Brock Lesnar fight still on the table? What about Derek Lewis, though? I mean, the, the guy, the guy can, can win this, right? I mean, would, would you agree? Yes, although, I mean, there's a reason. You're talking mm-hmm. about a guy in Cormier who, when he was in the Strike Force Heavyweight Grand Prix, 
They were calling him the Black Fedor. I mean, um, were it not for the Jones fights, look, if, if if he had never dropped out of heavyweight, would he be the greatest heavyweight of all time? I bet he would have put together uh, the kind of resume to, like, well, I would favor him over, you know, I don't know about Kane necessarily, but because uh, they wouldn't have fought, but I would favor him over every other heavyweight of his era easily. Um, so the question is, you know, do you have to take Derek Lewis's power seriously? Yes, of course you do. Do you have to take all the other things that the intangibles, the heart that he showed? Absolutely. Yes, you do. You cannot take them lightly, but if you're just thinking about probabilities, so there's possibilities, probabilities, and certainties. If you're just thinking about the probability of it all, the chances are extraordinarily high that DC wins. Um, but to your point, uh, I thought that Volkov was going to walk away with it and, and he did. And it's just, the same Volkov, man. This is another another level. So is it possible? It is possible, but it's more probable that DC walks away with it relatively easily, I think. Do you think it's it's a big gamble by the UFC? I mean, also, I, you know, Cormier is going injured. You know, I asked him about the, the New York thing. It makes me nervous, man. Yeah. They're going to be like, hey, your lips are chapped and you feel sad. We're not going to approve this fight. What? You didn't sleep last night? Canceled. It's like, ah. Uh, you know, both these guys have like, literally noteworthy injuries. Mm -hmm. Not like devastating injuries, but they're not, it's not, a, we're not, we're not guessing. So I'm, 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 you know, knock on wood, right? But I'm yeah. a little nervous about it, man. Well, we'll see once we get to, to, to I know. And it's here in New York. I'm like kind of excited for it now, but. Yeah, we'll see. All right. Um, this is an interesting point. This is actually from a, a call that we got, you know, last week, but we did, we just didn't have time to feature it. And I think it's it's a great point that very few people talk about, and it's something that I notice all the time. Danny, Luke, from Los Angeles. How about a hot take on who is to blame? UFC says they had all the security, they had all the police. And I'm watching back this fight, and in the ring, it's just a bunch of old fat guys. And not like kind of old or kind of fat, but like really fat and really old. What the fuck are those guys supposed to do? Anyway, <laughs> that is I'm an going. awesome question. That Dude, is such a good have you ever question. Seen, have you ever seen the fighters walk out and then you look at the bodyguards? You know, it's usually the people who work for the venues. Yeah. And these guys are getting close to, they look like 70. I mean, they, they, they Bro, that is there, such man. a funny question. So you know what's funny? When I first moved to New York City, I had no money. I had um, I had five hundred dollars to my name that was supposed to last me for two months. Danny, you could attest to the fact that five hundred bucks in New York City doesn't get you very far. Nope. So gets you gets you a beer. Uh, I literally was going through pay. This is back when payphones still existed. I was going through payphones and trying to find change just so I can get on the subway. Um, I was so poor, and um, I tried to get jobs bouncing, and I had a big problem doing that because. Uh, I, I, I was huge at the time. I was, I was still in the Marine Corps lifting weights, but, um, they all want, they all, have you seen the bouncers in New York city? They're all like six, 10, 400 pounds, yeah, right? Dudes. Because they all come from agencies that recruit them. Like all the guys who don't make it to the pros in the NFL, they recruit them. That's you ever seen like, uh, uh, Floyd's guys. Yeah. Those dudes, they're those all huge. huge. These, like 300 pounds. these venues, these newer venues, they don't do any of that. Apparently. Yeah. They don't hire from the same agencies. I found that out. So I'm not sure who they're hiring, but it ain't those guys. But if you get the guys who are bouncers here in NYC, yeah. bro, that fight gets stopped a lot faster. Because yeah. it's not fist fighting, it's controlling chaos. And these bouncers here, I mean, I'm a large man, and these bouncers here make me look very small. So that that's what you – but those guys are expensive. Like these guys who like are 400 pounds and, right. you know, 6'7", they get work at the big clubs because that's who has the money to pay them. So. Yeah. 
But but did that you notice that? Have you noticed question. that? Yes. Well, there's the one guy. Yeah. He's an African American guy. He's big and fat, but he used to be a pro football player. He works for okay. the commission. Yeah. He actually carries a badge. You can see him. But you're right, dude. That security there. They looked a little bit trifling. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. They they got a I don't know maybe upgrade. They, they need, but you know what they need? They need the 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 Boz body action system. That's yeah, what they need. Or the McGregor fast, right? <laughs> <laughs> to get nice and agile to hold down. A, yeah, you know. fucking a. All right, you want to do one more or you want? Yeah, to yeah, go no, to... we got we got time for a couple more. I'm gonna just I'm just gonna run like I always do to my next cool. job. Sounds good. All right. So let's talk about uh, Cyborg Nunez, a fight that's not being talked about at all. All right. Really. All right. Hey, Luke, this is Lance from Kentucky. I just wanted it. to ask you real quick, do the results of Rory versus Gegard give us a window into what the outcome of Cyborg versus Nunez will be in Ooh, terms no. of both having similar skill sets but also differing in weight? Thanks. Love the show. No, I don't think so. Um, Amanda has not taken the kind of damage Rory has taken. Mm -hmm. uh, I would actually say she's probably as physically talented I, I, Dean Thomas talked to me about this. He's like, dude, I am telling you. I am telling you. I know everyone's coach, big ups their fighter. Oh, this guy's amazing. This lady's amazing. She's the best. He's like, dude, I'm telling you, she hits like a man. You must yeah. believe me. And then I, I know Misha Tate now because she works with me at SiriusXM. Bro, she was telling me, she was like, I'd never been hit like that ever in my life. Not even, she told me, in sparring, which includes women and men. Um, she said that the power that Amanda Nunes possesses and it was effortless power. She wasn't like, ah, trying to he-man it across. Just pop, pop. She said she couldn't believe how physical she was. Now, we'll see about the gas tank. We'll see about the overall game. But in terms of like the physicality difference, no, I don't think so. Yeah. And and I would also say that there's a bigger jump in weight between 170 and 185 than it is from 135 to 145. Uh, by the way, Gegard, a guy who's fought as high as 205, too. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. And also, Chris Cyborg has made 142. I, I know, you know. Barely. Not, not the best shape, but <laughs> she's made it. Barely. And uh, Amanda Nunes, she, she's a big girl. Yeah. I've seen her I've seen her in person, and and she's just dense. She just yeah, looks. She's not a small know, fry at all. Yeah, exactly. No. Um. And I agree damage-wise. I mean, Nunez, I don't think historically has taken much damage throughout her career. Yeah. And we've seen 35ers have some success against Cyborg, like Holly Holm, you know? Yeah. Hey, is that Esther behind you? Yes. Hey, Esther, Esther, say hi. Can you wave? Where is she? No, other way. To your left. Hi, Esther. Hey, there's the world's best combat sports photographer. Pretty For great. Sure. All right, what's next? All right, um, let's do one more question, Ree McGregor, and we are going to tweet. Okay. Hello, Luke. It's Darius from Romania. So I have a question. Do you think Conor McGregor's star is fading away? Because I really, I'm not looking forward for any of next fights he possibly can do. I don't know. It's just my feeling for it's everyone's. Okay. By the way, shouts to uh, the home of Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, Austria calling in, and now Count Dracula, apparently from Romania. Romania. Nice to yeah. see that. Um, here's what I would say. I would say, I don't know if you agree, Danny, I've definitely noticed a little bit of a softening intensity mm -hmm. for the fandom that he had. Very slight, very minor. But the idea that, like, if what you're suggesting is if he fought again relatively soon, let's say within six months, that it wouldn't do well, I don't buy that at all. I mean, his star power is still extraordinary. He visited the worthless POS Dallas Cowboys, the worst sports organization on the planet, whose fans are literally vermin. And uh, it was everywhere all over the sports news. People loved it. And it just— Can't be worse than Real Madrid fans, though, right? Well, I mean, those are knights in shining armor, you absolute prick. Anyway, <laughs> point being is 
Did you see him at the game? Everyone was yeah. loving him. Jerry was backing him, backslapping him, and the fans were all there, and then the, yeah. the players loved it. He had a great throw, too. Like The throw was he had a six spiral, you know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, yeah. Laces out the whole bit. I'm just, look, I'm just saying I get that some fans are, some fans believe he got his comeuppance. But the idea that his popularity has waned in any kind of real or significant way, don't buy that at all. He's going to yeah. fight again, and he's going to get rich. And I think, if anything, it's gotten bigger. He was just at Amigos concert, and they knew who he was, and they were giving him a chains and taking pictures and whatnot. Yeah. Um, I think, if anything, he's bigger than ever. However, I would like to say that what is fading away is his aura of invincibility. Correct. I mean, against Eddie Alvarez, we were. I mean, I would remember watching that, and I was just, I was just like, this is something else. Yep. It, it was almost like watching Anderson Silva yep. when he was fighting the top dogs and just destroying them and, and looking. It was the, know, it was the same easy. feeling I got yeah. when Anderson beat Forrest Griffin. Yeah, I thought that is a once in a generation yeah. talent. He 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 was on top of the world at yeah. UFC 205. His speed, his timing, everything was just perfect. Yep. Um, and I think that has gone down. You know, especially Habib exposing him. You know, on the ground, uh, that has not been, exposing I, him. Not exposing, not exposing him. him, but you know, put setting a blueprint out there. Like, look, yep. you can wrestle this guy, and you can turn him into a different fighter. Yep. All right, are we done with calls? Yeah, let's go. To oh, wait, 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 wait. One yep. thing. Let's give away the PFL tickets. Yeah? Okay. Um, actually, do you want to do that after show? We, I can always tweet out the number. and Real quickly. Let me do it right now. Uh, okay. Call the number. Give you the number out. Yes? Yeah. 646-809-0777. 646-809-0777. Washington, D.C., my hometown. I'll be there this week. You get some VIP seats. You get to go watch PFL 10. With that, Danny Segura, it's time for a round of tweets. Five minutes on the clock. When the first tweet goes up, here we go. All right. How can a fan show that the doping allegations bother them without punishing themselves and not ordering pay-per-views with tainted fighters? We should have to miss an entire card to voice our displeasure with one particular fighter. Look, guys, I'm open to suggestion about ways in which you could protest beyond that. But here's the point that I've made. You cannot reasonably tell me that it really bothers you to the point where you cannot stand it, that it's, that is something that existentially is not okay and then act as if everything is okay. If your behavior doesn't change as a consequence, if your behavior is the same as somebody who doesn't care about that stuff, who's just willing to buy it no matter what, then how can you reasonably say that you're doing anything about it? You're just expressing displeasure, but you're not voting in any kind of way that matters. Maybe there's another way besides not buying it. I'm happy to hear some suggestions, but simply saying I'm mad or being angry on social media you're not really all that mad, are you? Next. Ryan Bader mentioned in a recent interview that he would have struggled against DC if they fought five years ago, but he would win for sure if they fought now. How do you see this playing out now? And will the results be different depending if they fought at light heavyweight or heavyweight? I, I do think Bader has made some substantial, excuse me, some substantial improvements. I, I have a hard time picking anybody uh, uh, to beat DC, you know, maybe not name John Jones, I suppose, but uh, I do think he'd be closer than it was five years ago. I do think, you know, look at the knockouts he's had against Alir Latifi, and he, he, looked, he looked good against Phil Davis, even though it was a close fight. And obviously in Belter, he's just run through people. So um, I would definitely say it's closer. I would definitely be like, I would like to see it, but I don't, I don't know that they would be substantially different. Next. Do you think Diaz versus Poirier bout is going to be replaced in UFC 230, and do you think Diaz will stay on the card? Well, he sure as F ain't staying on the card, and I don't think it's going to be replaced. I mean, I don't know what they could do on two weeks' notice to get not one but two people to fill in. I think we're just short. Next. Uh, Luke, please. <laughs> Luke, please unblock me. 
my buddy, shouts to my buddy Chad Dukes in Washington, D.C. He makes people Venmo him 20 bucks to get un, to get unblocked. I might start doing that. But Danny, save that tweet. I'll unblock this guy. Uh, what's next? What do you think about Habib calling out Floyd Mayweather? Uh, I'd rather have carbonic acid sprayed directly into my eyeballs while I am fed to scorpions alive. What a stupid-ass idea. Couldn't possibly want to see anything less. I didn't even want to see Mayweather McGregor, to be honest with you. And this is even worse. But if you're asking me if it might get made, shit, dude. Seeing Punk fought in the UFC. Anything's possible. Next. Uh, why do people think every fight Chael Sonnen loses is fixed? Well, look, he has certainly bled, or, uh, blended, I should say, or um, crossed the lines in terms of being a character, being a person. The way in which he loses is sort of like hard to comprehend because the technique... We're used to seeing guys try techniques and maybe not get them. We're not used to seeing them be like almost like a blooper reel kind of failure. And so I think folks like he was so clearly he could have done better. Um, well, the reality is, you know, Chael has a bit of a habit. Sometimes I really respect him as a fighter, but sometimes in these big moments, he goes for like, you know, um, high risk, low reward uh, techniques like the spinning back fist against Anderson. And it just kind of blows up in his face a little bit. So between the that tactical choice and the sort of character he's played over the years. I think a lot of people get the wrong idea about him. Next. Uh, is there a disconnect between media and fans regarding Habib's connection to Kadyrov? While media seem to be acutely aware of the horror that is Kadyrov, fans don't seem to see how ugly Habib's friendship with Kadyrov is for MMA. Right, well, look, our job is to report the truth and the fans can do what they want with it at, uh, uh, as a consequence. I'm just going to put it this way. You want to come on this show on the MMA Hour and you've ever done any business with uh, Ramzan Kadyrov, it's going to be the first question I ask you about it. So, you know, we'll see who has... Um, the willingness to actually acknowledge some of this bullshit. It's ridiculous that this guy is a part of the sport. It's ridiculous that this keeps happening. I can forgive Habib if he does it to protect his family in Russia. I really can. But everyone else out there, not forgiving at all. And I swear to God, if you come on the show, it's the first goddamn thing I'm going to ask you. So you're duly warned. Next. Why is nobody talking about Aldo versus Connor 2 at 155? Because it seems like there's no momentum. But I wouldn't mind seeing it, to be honest. Next. Uh, what type of wild game have you eaten? I've eaten rattlesnake. Um, I have eaten turkey. I've eaten deer. I've eaten boar. I've eaten, uh, God, what else have I eaten? A bunch of stuff. If you're asking how does rattlesnake taste, like ass. Uh, next, please. Luke, do you foresee UFC ever sending fighters to challenge in other promotions again, like when they sent Chuck to Pride? Maybe if Dana White leaves the organization, and that's it. All right, folks, one more time, 646-809-0777 for the PFL tickets. We went long again. Thank you, guys. Thanks to everyone in the back for watching. Thank you guys for watching. We'll be back next week, and until then, stay frosty.